What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Bebe, where you say run goes with everything. This is your host, longtime member of the Bakugo Apologist Squad, Mikey, and joined with me as always is... The number one fanboy of the Yairotsu Club, Ryan, aka Grin. And welcome back to Summer of Heroes. Last time, we kicked off our summer series by covering the sports festival arc, and what an arc it was. Uh, how you feeling uh, one podcast into our uh, My Hero kind of summer here? Uh, well, a lot more energetic than I would have thought. Uh, shonens are typically harder for me to rewatch since, uh, you know, I realized when watching shonens, I, I tend to care more about like what's happening in the moment because, you know, characters progress, they improve, and they they go beyond the person they were the day, be they, they were the day before. But uh, no, I was easily able to uh, get back in the groove of this. I was very happy to find out. I guess that just uh, lends more of a testament to uh, the staying power of My Hero Academia. Yeah, it's like one of those series that like you really want to just like keep going back to and revisiting because like you know it's just it's just that dang good. I'm glad that I tested that and it proved to be true in this case. Yeah, even more so with like most shonen because like say with like good shonen like say One Piece or Hunter Hunter, it's like it's really good, but like you know with one episode done, I don't really have feel the need to go and revisit it, maybe sometime later down the line, but for the most part, I'm just kind of like, I'm chugging along, keep moving forward, but with My Hero Academia here, it's just like, you know, I could I could use a rewatch of some of these old episodes, they're just really, really that good. Yeah, they still resonate pretty well with you after a while. And especially with the last arc we did, the Sports Festival arc, which is like one of the best, like, early arcs of the series. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But now it's onwards and upwards with My Hero Academia, so when we last left young Midoriya, he has left on his internship and is now ready to come face to face with the man that once taught All Might, the man known as Gran Torino, uh, not to be confused with the film of the same name. And when we met him, he appeared to be lying face down in a pool of his own blood! So, kind of a good uh, first impression there. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, it could be could turn into anything. Maybe it could be turned into like a good like training arc, or it could maybe turn into like a murder mystery arc. You never know. <laughs> you never know with this series. So we got a little shortened preamble here because usually, because like you know, I already covered most of the stuff in like our previous My Hero podcast. You know, our little early stuff about production and whatnot. So we're just gonna get right into it with this arc. Oh so. yeah, this summer we're just gonna be chugging right along. So the action never stops. So, with all that out of the way, Summer of Heroes continues as we're talking the second half of My Hero Academia Season 2, the Hero Killer arc slash Final Exams arc. So without further ado, let's start the show. Let's power right on. <laughs> Yo 
そうさよなら行かざるを得ない何を失ったとて忘れない悔しさも屈辱も胸に飾って初日を切り裂いてそう未来へ追っかけ All right, so as always, we gotta cover up the、uh, openings for this, and also、uh, we're gonna be talking about the、uh, ending as well. So、uh, the opening for this season is called. Sora ni Ute Ba, hopefully I pronounced it right, which is、uh, translated to If I Sing to the Sky, and it's performed by Amazarashi. So,、uh, what do you think of this opening for the second half of、uh, season two here?、Uh, like better, I like it better one, than the one that was played during the sports festival arc, mostly because there's just more stuff going through on screen, I guess. I guess maybe because it stimulates my mind a little bit more. Even though I admit there was some. Good stuff going on with the trip with the sports festival arc as everybody was training and psyching themselves up, as you naturally do before a big sports competition. But this one just appeals to that like kid in my brain that wants to see more stuff just going on in screen.、Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a very petty way to like a to like a opening, but that was those were kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I agree that this opening is like a, a much is like a step up from a peace sign, which was the first opening of、uh, season two, and it's just like. Just goes to show a lot of like a lot of the stuff of our heroes, just like actually getting into action scenes rather than just like you know warming up, getting ready to do action scenes later on.、Mm-hmm. It's also just like really cool visuals and all that. You know, it might get a little spoilery, but you know what? I can forgive it because it just looks really that good. And、uh, I guess we'll probably keep this trend going for like、uh, the rest of the rest of the season, where we talk about、uh, the ending theme around this time. So、uh, the ending theme for this is、uh, called "Date Atashi no Hero," which translates to "Still My Hero," and it's performed by Lisa. And、uh, I don't know about you, but I really like the ending for the second half of this. You know,、oh, it's, got, it's charming. It's really cute. This kind of whole like fantasy world setting with like all of our characters in there, and it just looks really, really adorable. Because why not? Fantasy is the big thing right now in anime. Oh man, I'm just kind of watching this. And I'm kind of thinking like, man, with all the friggin' isekai anime that's all over there in the anime world, why don't we get this isekai? This isekai that's seen in the、uh, end credits. For like a minute and a half for My Hero Academia. Here. I don't want that actually. Really? <laughs> I just want My Hero Academia as it is. I don't want them to like pivot into a fantasy setting <laughs> to go with a trend that is gonna die off in like the next five years or so. I don't know. I would. I wouldn't mind like a little like say for like an OVA based on like this one ending credit scene because I just I just really dig it that much. Okay, maybe for an OVA, I'd be accepting of it. An OVA. Nothing more. Yeah, nothing more. Yeah, and I just, I just love the costumes too because you know we have Uraraka as kind of like a mage. You also have like Bakugo kind of dressed like Craven the Hunter here. Looking <laughs> really cool. I know, I know. It's just, it's just my grievances with Isekai. Oh yeah, but, yeah. I, I have my own grievances with Isekai as well. But you know, that's neither here nor there. But now let's get、uh, into the series proper with the first episode of this second half entitled Bizarre Grand Torino appears. So kick off. Holy whoa! He's dead. I'm alive. He's alive. <laughs> Man, you dodged a bullet there, <laughs> Deku. 
So we're introduced here to Gran Torino, played here by Charles Campbell, who is indeed alive as he merely tripped over carrying a plate of sausages covered in ketchup. So it's a simple misunderstanding to see that, you know, he's probably drowning in a pool of his own blood with, like, his guts hanging out. Because, like, nah, 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 it's, it's not that. It's just, like, sausages covered in ketchup. I think the more offensive thing here is uh, sausages covered in ketchup. Yeah, that's... That's that's pretty, weird. That's pretty weird, That's yeah. weird, old man. That's weird. Yeah, you got some weird stuff, Grant Torino. I mean, I don't usually badmouth anybody, but sausages covered in ketchup, you can do so much better. Right. So, thoughts on Gran Torino here with this, like, introduction and what we're going to see of him in the rest of this arc? I like Gran Torino a lot. I like him a whole lot, lot, lot. Uh, he is the... Well, uh, Horikoshi has talked before in the manga about how he is very fond of mentor characters. Uh, especially being a Star Wars fan, uh, he is a very, very big fan of the short kind. The short, elderly mentors that help out the younger protagonist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can make your own connections there. <laughs> But uh, given that, he actually has a very good grasp of that trope, as Gran Torino uh, will soon prove himself to be uh, a source of very good information and advice for young Midoriya here. Right, exactly all that. And I like how at first he seems very, like, very senile, almost on par with, like, say, Grandpa Simpson, you know, with, like, his senality here. He's just like, who are you? What's your name, Sonny? <laughs> <laughs> like, he just goes off on, like, story about him. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, we used to tie an onion around my belt, which was the style at the time. <laughs> it all began in 1992. We had to say dickity because the Kaiser took our word 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, Deku here seems very unsure about having someone like him train him in using One for All over someone like, say, All Might, who's very experienced in One for All and is uh, has all his uh, has everything together, so to say. But uh, all of this was just a test, as Gran Torino can prove that he can really get serious. And we see him show off his quirk as he ricochets all around uh, his little room here, and he goes on to tell Deku that uh, he saw him compete in the sports fest and saw how reckless he can be with his quirk, and that's why he wanted to train him during this internship right here. Oh yeah, he's pretty he's pretty sharp, this old man right here. Oh yeah, he's he, he has it all together, even though uh, outward appearances might see, might say otherwise. And a pretty cool quirk, too, in Jet, which allows him to take in a breath of air and just jet around on, like, uh, bursts of air from his feet at incredibly fast speeds, which lends a whole new dimension to his name, Gran Torino, because it means that, because it means that he's, he's old, but he packs a lot of horsepower. Yeah! I, that, 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 that compares, that connection alone makes that one of my favorite names in this entire, hero names in this entire series. Uh, Gran Torino. Like, knowing that in his gimmick, oh, it's such a strong combo. It's so good. So, Deku realizes that Gran Torino is for real, and he's now ready to get to work. Deku's even more prepared now, as he's been supplied with a modified new suit from the support course. So, uh, they took his old suit from, like, uh, earlier in Season 1, and they kind of, like, uh, jazzed it up a bit, very very much punched it up a little. Yeah, they just kind of added some, like, uh, combat gear a little bit to it. Like, they added, a, it looks a lot bulkier and more defensive. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, Deku could use more of that in as far as, like, his style has proven this far. So, yeah, this will be uh, this will be pretty much the norm for... Yeah, this is pretty much the norm, actually. Yeah, for this the, is for his a, costume for quite a while now. For a long time now, even currently in the manga, actually. Uh, yeah, that is pretty much his uh, style that he's got right now. 
Yeah, but they still managed to uh, luckily keep the base that was uh, made by his mom, so have that little sentimentality there. Yeah, you gotta have that. Yeah, you, you, you can't put take out that motherly you charm. Can't, you can't take that away from him. So, Deku, you ready to go? Great. Ready, set, fight! As Grand Torino immediately begins training by challenging Deku to a quick fight, he wants to uh, see how he handles one for all in person. Grand Torino uh, bounces all around the room, you know, just like ricocheting, go bing, bing, boom, bing, 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 boom, boom. But uh, Deku's able to uh, read his movements, and he's able to figure that he's going to attack from behind. So he turns around and goes for a smash, but Gran Torino blocks Deku because he's too stiff with his punch and easily pins him to the ground. Just wipes his ass with Deku. Yeah, just like, you know, he may be old, but, uh, you know, he's still got a little bounce in his step. Yeah, he's got some kick. So he goes on to tell Deku that he figures that it's his admiration of All Might that's keeping him from controlling one for all. It's shackling him, so Deku's gonna have to uh, figure out how to get past that. And I really like the moment where, like, after uh, Deku hears those words from Gran Torino, he really thinks about that. And when he's really thinking about, like, you know, what do his words mean? Like, what, how can he control one for all based on, like, what Gran Torino said? All while he's doing this, he's looking at a microwave that was broken during the fight. So kind of calling back to the whole egg in a microwave uh, conversation him and All Might had. Oh, right. Yeah, there's that connection there. So the, the stories can overlap. The analogies overlap, rather. Yeah, and he starts to piece it together, and then he comes to a revelation that the reason his movements have been too stiff and why he can't keep control is because he's been looking at his smashes as special attacks rather than an extension of himself. He needs to look at it as a part of himself and an extension of his strength. So Deku starts to like, kind of really figure out how he can use that mindset to really control one for all finally for good this time around. But let's leave Deku to himself for a bit and check in on everyone else. So we see the rest of everyone's internships, and first up we have uh, My Hero's equivalent of Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in Kirishima interning with, alongside fellow hardhead Tetsu Tetsu under the chivalrous hero, fourth kind, played here by Jason Douglas. <laughs> Great comparison there with Kirishima <laughs> to Mac. <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious, like, you know, he's a wannabe tough guy, he tries to be so cool, but, like, deep down we all know that he's just very much, like... A closeted gay person. <laughs> He's one step away from becoming gay, Mac. <laughs> yeah. And Bakugo is his Dennis. Exactly. Precisely. <laughs> Napped comparison. And so we have a fourth kind here, the guy that are interning under. And uh, when I look at him, I don't know whether to reference Goro from Mortal Kombat or uh, the lesser known Marvel character created by Rob Liefeld named Forearm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you say that, but I think I think more like a four arms, plural, from uh, Ben Ten, oh. who had a bit more utility because he had super strength at least. Oh, there you go. Although with fourth kind, I question what exactly he does on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, he kind of has like the air of kind of like a yakuza boss to him. In all honesty. Yeah, he's he's very tough and he's very uh, uh, aggressive in his approach to teaching. So yeah, I could see that. So, on to the uh, other uh, internships, as we have Yayorozu and Kendo, and they're interning with the snake hero, Uobami, played here by Anastasi Munoz, who's uh, more focused on commercial work and modeling rather than regular hero work. So, uh, when she decided to bring these two along for their internships, it's only because that they're really cute. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, not, not everybody really, like, understands who they end up working under until they actually do. Yeah. Which, which is why I love this whole segment. <laughs> Then we have Uraraka training with the battle hero Gunhead, played here by Brandon Potter, as she wants to learn more about hand-to-hand -hand combat abilities, which is uh, what she said in the uh, previous first half of Season 2. Then after that, we have friggin' Mineta doing housework for Mountain Lady. <laughs> Loser. 
<laughs> well, actually, uh, from what I recall, that the segment where uh, she's depicted just lounging around while he's doing chores around the house. If I remember correctly, that wasn't actually in the manga. Oh, really? No, that wasn't actually. Um, we just we never actually find out what Mineta was doing under Mount Lady, which you know then leads to the joke later on involving it, which we'll soon see and stuff. But uh, no, we don't actually see what they're what they're really doing. Oh, okay, so this is like a kind of an anime only thing, you know? Yeah, this is an anime only thing just to really see what's going on. But I would not be surprised if I like this wouldn't be out of place if it appeared in the manga because this is the writing of this of the joke is just great where Mineta <laughs> in turn where Mineta starts working under Mount Lady thinks it's going to be a great time because he's working under a sexy lady and then just ends up doing chores around the house yeah <laughs> being taught that you have to wait as a hero sometimes in order to take in before like you find an opportunity <laughs> oh Mount Lady we love you we love her and some other internships is we have Jiro interning alongside Death Arms, kind of getting more uh, on-the-field hero work compared to everyone else. And then we have Sue, who looks to be in the Navy, where you can sell the seven seas. In, in the, the Navy. Navy. Come on and put your mind at ease. In the Navy. <laughs> and then we have Todoroki training under his shitty dad. <laughs> <laughs> even even when I saw this originally, I was like, Really? You can't defend like anybody else to learn from, but he has a ra- but he has a rationalization here in that he ought to learn from one of the best that he has available. So yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. And last but not least is our boy Bakugo interning with the number four hero, a man who wears more denim than Attitude Era Triple H, a man whose hairstyle can give John Cena's current bad hair a run for its money. We have Best Genist played here. By Micah Suicide. Ooh, I like him a lot. Oh, he is great. If only because he has just such great style. He really does, with like his, all the denim, and it looks like kind of his, his pants are pulled up so high that it kind of forms like his collar to his like shirt. It's just the jeans, like superhero suit. I, I just love it so much. He's the only character I've ever seen that could ever possibly pull that off. Oh, absolutely. And also I just love how he makes a lot of like, sewing puns along yeah, he with makes like te- he makes like textile references and like sewing puns it's it's i i love any hero that can dedicate themselves to that kind of gimmick yeah so you have my support best genus oh and mine as well so best genus brought bakugo on board because he wants to adjust his attitude and make him a proper respectable hero so you know this is probably gonna go all this is gonna go swimmingly for trying to turn Bakugo into someone very prim and proper. For a short period we get like prim and proper Deku. <laughs> no no prim and proper Bakugo. <laughs> Does he also switch over to wearing jeans during yeah, this? Yeah, he switches over from <laughs> He's his like actually wearing jeans. From his like black MC hammer parachute pants to like jeans. <laughs> and he drops his gauntlets too. <laughs> No, no, no. You you don't wear that under Best Genus. Uh, you don't wear that under his agency. <laughs> you gotta be stylish. Absolutely. You gotta be hip with the times. <laughs> you gotta look fabulous. <laughs> and meanwhile, in Hosu City, we see Ida on his internship, and we find out the obvious truth to why he chose to intern in Hosu City. He plans to confront the hero killer Stain as revenge for nearly killing his brother. Speaking of which... The hero killer is being courted by Shigaraki to join up with his Ligiwigi as he feels he'd be a great addition to his current plan to kill All Might. However, Stain doesn't want to join him as he sees Shigaraki as someone without conviction and he also sees him as just a mere child. Hey, I'll have you know, he's a man-child. Thank you very much. Yeah, you give some respect there. (laughs) 
So more on this in a bit. As we go on to later in the night, Deku attempts to put his new way of thinking about one for all to practical use by attempting to do wall jumps. But he keeps messing up and face planting into a wall, then falling back into a bunch of garbage in like this dingy alleyway. So and he's like easily putting off people too. They're walking by. Yeah, you just have like this couple walking by, and they just hear Deku just like slamming into a wall and falling into garbage, and they're just like, "Oh god, quick, run away, run away! This is this could be trouble." <laughs> so the next day, Gran Torino sees him looking all beat up, but hey, on the bright side, Deku didn't break any bones. So you know, baby steps. We get a little moment where Deku asked Gran Torino about when he trained with All Might, and we find out that All Might was able to use One for All right out the gate because he was already pretty strong by then. And Gran Torino was able to train him through mostly combat, and we get a brief scene of a young Gran Torino punching out a young All Might. So that explains why All Might was so afraid of him at first. Because he was afraid he was going to get, like, punched in the gut again. Just, like, a little bit of, like, uh, trauma here. Just, like, training under Gran Torino, like, so it kind of gets over, like, how intense his training was with him. Come on now, boy, that's not vomit, that's just the loser being punched out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that their training was kind of similar to, uh... You know, uh, Vegeta and Trunks training in the uh, hyperbolic time chamber during the Cell Saga of Dragon Ball Z, you know, where as, where as soon as they get in there, Vegeta immediately just starts wailing on Trunks to, like, kind of, like, toughen him up, getting him, like, strong to fight Cell. <laughs> kind of compared to this, it's the only time the character played by Chris Sabat is the one getting beaten up, whereas in Dragon Ball Z it was vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> during this conversation, we also find out that Gran Torino began training All Might after his previous mentor, the one who passed down one for all to him, died. And it's also during this that uh, Gran Torino realized that Deku doesn't know about that person, the seventh holder of One for All. But more on them in the future, and we're going to get a lot on them in the future. Oh yeah, that's going to be coming up way later on. But uh, first things first, we need to focus up on heating up some fish pastries in our brand new microwave. But Deku didn't heat them up long enough, so they're still frozen. You see, you put too much on a plate and they won't rotate, so they won't cook evenly. And then, at that moment, it clicks for Deku. Deku comes to the conclusion that he is just like this frozen pastry. And he gets he gets a line here that I kind of like where he says, like, No, I don't mean literally. I'm not really dessert. And upon hearing that, I kind of thought, like, no, but I'm pretty sure someone would definitely think of Deku as a snack, though. <laughs> That's spot on right there. That's spot on. And also, like that pastry, he's very soft and sweet. Aww. <laughs> But really, though, Deku realizes that in order to control his power, he needs to have it continuously coursing through his entire body evenly, rather than just calling upon it to use on uh, one singular body part as a special attack. So a season and a half later, our little boy has finally got it. This is what we call progress. Which brings us to the next episode, Midoriya and Shigaraki. So it's time to put Deku's newfound controlled version of One for All to the test. Grand Torino's got Deku for three minutes! Three minutes of plate time. So Deku's got to land a smash on him in that amount of time. Ooh, and man, this is this is where this is where I begin to like really love Deku's power. This this is like a really it's a small moment, but it's a really good moment in terms of like Deku's progress as a hero. Yeah, sort of fighting style referred to as full cowl. Yeah, leave full cowling. Full cowling. Okay. Yes, um, nice little way for him to actually kind of like use his power in uh, smaller ways to uh, circumvent the problems that he's had early, earlier in the series. Um, does make him uh, a little, um, you know, you don't see the big like smash moments that you like you will see before, but let me tell you, like, despite that, 
despite not having those big moments, it's supplemented with like much smaller but so much more effective moments when it comes to Deku's fighting. So with this fight, Grand Serena's plan of attack is run and gun, keep moving and bouncing off the walls quickly while landing pot shots here and there. So he's uh, sacrificing strength for speed here, but it's still tough to combat. Deku uh, gets in a respite as he hides under a couch to get a moment to charge up, and for the first time, we get that one-for-all full cowling. As Deku, instead of cackling with red energy, he's now cackling with blue energy, so kind of a bit of a way to signify that he's uh, a little bit more in control of it, it's a little bit more better than the way he's been using it before. I did like the way they kind of stylistically chose to show that in the anime, like showing the uh, difference in uh, color of the energy surging through his body to uh, denote how he's using the power at the time. Oh, so they did they not use that in the uh, manga? Well, in the manga, there's no color. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> it's not. So it's a bit harder to uh, portray that, but uh, it's still so. It's the power is still shown to be surging all throughout his body. It's just um, Horikoshi has to, I don't know, draw it or depict it in different, smaller ways. Uh, the way that uh, Deku uses it. In fact, I think the little X pattern on his face doesn't actually appear in the manga either, I don't believe. Okay. I mean, I can be corrected on this, but if I, that's the one thing I distinctly recall seeing. Like, that X wasn't on there. That doesn't really, like, mean anything, but it looks super cool. It does look cool. So Deku reads his attacks and is able to dodge for a brief moment to go for a smash, but he just nearly misses Gran Torino just as the three minutes are up. While he didn't land a full smash, Deku was able to graze him, so good job on your first time controlling one for all. And once again, no broken bones. So it looks like we are uh, we could be past that little phase of his uh, time with one for all. No broken bones, that's a very good milestone for Deku. <laughs> <laughs> Sad to say. So time for a quick check-in on the other 1A kids as Uraraka continues training with Gunhead, but keeps getting distracted by how cute he is, even though he's like this big, huge, tough guy. He acts very cutesy with like very cutesy poses and whatnot. Now, as far as the dub, I as far as the dub goes, I think they do a fine enough job getting that across. Although I think, if I recall from like uh, translation of the manga, it's his his voice or his his vocal mannerisms are much cutesier, I guess. Oh, okay. I don't know how to describe it really, but he was like, "Oh, oh, really? Was that a boy? <laughs> was that your boyfriend?" I don't. It was, there was some sort of adjustment to his vocal inflections that made him sound a lot cutesier. I don't want to know if I... I can't really recall, certainly, if it was exactly like, Oh, really? You have a boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember that personally, but I don't know. Maybe that was just a bad translation somewhere. Then we also get to see Best Genus Taming Bakugo's spiky shonen anime hair. And uh, this whole the whole segments with like best genus trying to like make Bakugo a proper hero. I kind of like to refer to these bits as my fair hero, <laughs> <laughs> grooming him to be a prim and proper hero that yeah. will be popular with people. <laughs> and once he starts to get starts to get, he goes like, "By Jove, I think you got it." <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Uabami modeling and showing Yayorozu and Kendu how to act like a lady, act like a lady, do do. Do 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 so traditional. Oh yeah, they're 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 teaching them a lot about uh, the advertisement game. Yeah, I, I love the bit with the advertisements where like you can see Kendo is kind of getting into it. She kind of understands like, okay, we're not gonna do hero work, so I might as well enjoy myself. But uh, poor Yayorozu is just like she's still kind of shocked into seeing that this is her internship, and she's still desperately trying to find like you know ways you can incorporate this into hero work, but just, like, not realizing that, no, we're not going to learn really any hero things with uh, this lady. She comes across more as, like, her manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So back at school, All Might and Tsukauchi converse about Nomu as he's constantly being interrogated ever since he was brought in after the USJ incident. However, it was discovered that Nomu has no free will of his own and cannot think for himself. Also, we find out that Nomu is actually an amalgamation of four different sets of DNA crammed into a single body of some low-level thug. Each bit of DNA gave him multiple quirks, which is unheard of. And upon hearing this, All Might starts to think that maybe the person behind this is someone from his past. Back to finish him off once and for all. Oh man, this like, this is just set up, but man, with this... This is going to build to some stuff here. The seeds that are being planted, oh, they're so fine. But enough of that villain, and back to another set of villains as we continue with Shigaraki and Stain's confrontation. And I really like the scene between these two right here. You know, we have, like, the, the battle of differing ideals in that Shigaraki kind of goes through with his plans very aimlessly, you know. Like a child, he doesn't think things out clearly and has a bit of, uh, you know, attitude where it's just like, it'll happen when it happens, you know. And Stain doesn't like that. He prefers someone with conviction, someone that has a plan and sees it through to the very end. You know, right? Like as, as per my as the as per the description, I'm, I believe I brought it before. Shigaraki is very much like a troll. He just like <laughs> he just does he, he just does evil crap because it just gives him personal pleasure at this point. He doesn't really think about the consequences, or he doesn't really have any kind of strategy. He just does terrible crap just to feel gratification in the moment. Whereas Stain as we're seeing now, has way more conviction than he does. Gen like, has way... has a much harsher philosophy in the way he approaches the world and will defend it properly, and will defend it, like, promptly. And I think, you know, now is a good time to chat about Stain. So, give your full thoughts on Stain, because I know you've probably been waiting for this for... Ever since we started Summer of Heroes right here to talk about Stain. Now, believe it or not, it's they've changed a little bit. They've changed uh, a little bit. I guess I guess I guess it's more uh, as as it pertains to how I view um, uh, characters on the side or something like that. I love Stain as a character uh, quite a bit just because of what he does for the story. Because as we are soon about to see, he is a character who believes very heavily in uh, his philosophy towards the world. To, and he will defend it to the death. He is... The second time I can't watch through the series, I had to agree with some characters who give him a description. He is a terrible uh, extremist yeah. in what he does. and he. But he is also just, like, frightening in his... That's, that's what, what we begin to see with Stain is, like, the most frightening thing about him is that it's not it's not that, like, what he can do in, as, like, individually as, like, a hero. Because, as we will soon see, his... Powers are not, like, super game-changing or anything. He's just, like, a one-man... He's just one man on a mission out to wreak as much havoc as he can. He's, you know, he's... if In any other scenario, he's basically just, a, like, a lone man terrorist, you know. But his philosophy, as we'll soon see, is what f persists and will persist to this day, like, throughout the course of the series. Yeah. And I find him utterly fascinating in that regard. Yeah, that's the key thing with Sane. Like, he is fascinating. He's very, like, interesting to kind of, like, pick apart, you know, just, like, wondering, like, how does this dude operate right here? Like, in in some ways, he, it, like, upon another viewing, he does actually kind of scare me a little bit. Oh, he's scary as all hell. He's frightening. <laughs> like, even from that very first appearance from, like, the end of Season 1, where you just see him as, like, a shadowy figure staring, like, over, staring up on a rooftop, staring over, like, the city, you know, like... 
it's a really creepy scene and then like seeing him like in action like even creepier like especially with like the last uh especially with the first half of season two where we see him like uh nearly kill Ida's brother here well i will get into that more later on but uh you know that that, that will will i will get into that more as we see more of stain but you know despite like these differing ideals like in the end they both have a bit of a common goal when it comes to all might you know it all comes to all might so Kurogiri lets Stain go back to Hosu City as he still has some unfinished business there. And he's not the only one. Is that after figuring out Stain's attack patterns, he knows that he's gonna attack another hero in the city. And this is where he'll come in and finish him off. The next day, Deku and Gran Torino go out on the town to find and practice with some real villains, but they need to head to a more urban area like Shibuya as it has a higher population, therefore more crime. But, uh, you know, upon seeing this, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, if you guys want to find a place with high crime, you should really like... Why not just go to, like, places like Ropungi or something like that, you know, places with, like, high Yakuza crime? Oh, really? Do those actually have, like, high crime rates over there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, or better yet, go to, uh, Kamurocho. Kamurocho! <laughs> go to the fictional section of the city, <laughs> Kamurocho, you know, to like, bust up the Yakuza over you there. You know, there's a bunch of weirdos running around there. I'm pretty sure you can find some baddies you can, like, you know, rough up a bit. I hear there's some guy with a, with an eye patch who's, like, very crazy and wears a snakeskin jacket. <laughs> Carries a knife around and he just stabs people randomly. <laughs> you know, you could probably track him down. Yeah, he'd be pretty easy to track down. I, I, I hear he tries to, like, I hear he has a raging hard-on for this, like, stoic, like, former Yakuza guy. You know, this dude, he's been kind of like, you know, he works as an orphanage, he also works as a taxi driver, he has, like, an adopted daughter who's an idol, you know. Maybe if you, maybe you can, like, go and find him and then maybe work together to take down this uh, crazy eye patch dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> buy Yakuza. <laughs> it's a great game series. Please buy Yakuza. So Deku remarks that they'll pass by Hosu City en route to their destination, and on that note, let's look in on this city as Stain goes on to continue his work killing heroes who he deems as false champions who only do it for the fame and glory. Interesting moment as Shigaraki and Kurugiri further discuss Stain, and Kurugiri brings up that uh, the places that Stain attacks often see the crime rate drop afterwards, which is like he causes so much trouble killing off these heroes, and it ends up creating more heroes in that very city So as soon as he kills them, so like... He kills off these heroes, and then all of a sudden, like, they see a uh, spike in, like, uh, lower crime rates as more heroes come up and try to, like, you know, fill in the void. It kind of seems like very much that could he be creating heroes doing his methods here. Yeah, that's one of those, like, morally kind of gray moments that, like, kind of afflicts, like, your thinking when you think of, like, Stain a little bit. Yeah, and that's just what makes him, like, very fascinating as, like, an antagonist in My Hero Academia. Yeah, that'll be one facet we will see with him. But uh, after all this, Shigaraki is just tired of staying at this point he has just had enough of him so he decides to do things his way by summoning a bunch of nomu and uh, very much different kinds of nomu as uh compared to the one we saw at the usj so we have like different types you know we have like the strong types we also have one that flies around we also have, like skinnier ones big ones small ones ones that climb on rocks you know that sort of thing come in all shapes and sizes buy them now at your, <laughs> get, local, at your local action figures get store. your nomus here get your nomus here at toys r us <laughs> While passing by Hosu City, Deku and Gran Torino come in contact with one of these Nomus as De Gran Torino takes it on as they head into the city. Deku sees that the whole city is on fire and gives chase. In that city, Ida and his pro hero are aware of the situation and head to it, but Ida notices something down a dark alley and he knows exactly what this is. Ida comes face to face with Stain in the process of attempting to murder another hero. 
Stain sees the vengeance in Ida's eyes, and Ida says that he's here to avenge his big brother, and proclaims himself to be the hero Ingenium. And really amazing acting by Tatum here when we see Ida confront Stain in this dark alley. He really, really gets over just Ida's pure guttural hatred for Stain. Like, you can just feel it in his voice here. Mmm, fine acting from the man here. And after this proclamation, Stain simply replies back, Die. Mmm. <laughs> Selna so well. Oh, man. So which brings us to the next episode, Hero Killer Stain versus UA Students. Gray and Torino continues fighting the Nomu while protecting a couple of citizens, and he goes for another attack, but the Nomu is lit up by Endeavor. Why is he here? Because he's a hero, which probably translates to he's trying to get a one-up on All Might. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't even know how like deep that runs. <laughs> He'll never let this rivalry go. Deku runs through the city looking for Gran Torino and Nomu, only to find more Nomu. And like, and like I said, these Nomus have like designs creepier than the first, you know? Mmm, yeah, because they've got like weird like powers that shoot out of their mouths and like just like they just like look even like creepier than before as well. They're just like grotesque creatures. And if they're anything like the Nomu from the USJ, like these Nomu are just basically like pretty much a bunch of dudes' DNA crammed into a single person's body to just make these horrifying, you know, brain-exposed monsters here. Ugh, gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> While witnessing a bunch of heroes fight off these monsters, Deku overhears from Ida's pro that he's run off on his own, and then he starts to add it all up. Ida plus Hosu City plus Nomu plus Hero Killer equals bad, bad news. A really stupid idea that Ida had to en en enact on. So the fight is on as Ida begins his battle for Tensei against the Hero Killer. And during this, Stain tells him about how he let Tensei live solely because he wanted him to spread the word about the Hero Killer. You know, I won't kill you so you can tell others all about me and what I do. And just like, that's so fucking evil. <laughs> I will beat you and mortally wound you with an inch of your life, but I won't kill you. Just so you can, like, spread the word of me and my and my ideals. Well, I mean, to, like, spread his ideas. Like, that's one of his core goals. Yeah, but... So it's a smart strategy. It is, but God... Just, it's, it's pretty demented. It is. And pouring salt into the wound, he then says to Ida, You're just a weakling. Just like he was. Mmm. Mmm. Then he moves on from metaphorical wounds to real ones as he stabs his blade into Ida's arm. And holy shit, was this graphic. Yeah, Horikoshi can actually get kind of gruesome in some parts of his manga. Especially considering with like the series so far hasn't really gotten too violent up to this point. And, uh, oh yeah, meant much more to come later on. Much more. Particularly currently in the manga. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just like watching like... This whole scene right here between Ida and Stain is just really, really well done. Like, you know, you have Ida thinking about his brother, how he always wants to be a hero, and then Stain saying, like, you know, no, you don't have your right to call yourselves heroes. And just, like, once again, on top of all this, we have Tatum just going all out, just giving that pure, raw emotion, and, like, it's just so, it's just so really, really well done. It all gets like, sold all our, so well. Things. It's fantastic. Like, it's so good, I might have to splice it in right here. A child wearing a suit. Who are you? I am the brother of an incredible hero who you attacked. 
He's the best older brother that anyone could hope for. I have come to stop you, because he can't anymore. I want you to take the name for me, Tinya. You're going to remember my name for as long as you live. I am Ingenium, and I will defeat you. That I promise. Then so be it. Die. Fortensei! Ingenium, so your brothers. I let him live so he could spread the good word. Word of me. <laughs> You're a weakling, just like he was. You aren't heroes. You have no right to be called that. Both of you are nothing but fakes. Shut up, villain. You damaged his spine and paralyzed him from the waist down. He's never gonna be able to work as a pro hero again. My brother was incredible. A caring person who saved many lives. Someone people looked up to. You had no right to take that all away from him. Tensei, I'm so proud of you. You've become independent at a very young age with many psychics following you. That's no easy feat in these times. Nah, they're not followers. It's the opposite, Dad. They support me because I'm not great on my own. They're just looking out for me. I honestly couldn't do anything without them. I need their support. Of course, I'm working hard so I can return the favor. I'm not super talented or anything, but if I'm going to call myself a hero, then I have to live up to that title and help people. He is my hero. My older brother inspired my dream that one day I could be a pro too. I won't forgive you. I'll kill you. Shouldn't you be worried about saving that guy? So busy with your grudge, you forgot about him. You plan on using your quirk only for yourself. You're completely blinded by a selfish desire for revenge. You're about as far away from being a hero as I can imagine. And that's why you'll die tonight. My body won't move! Goodbye, child. May your death bring about a better world. No, please. Not like this. Knowing you look up to me makes me better. I have to be sure I make you proud. <laughs> Say whatever you want to about me! You're still just a criminal who hurt my brother! <clears throat> and also note that is, we have here is Stain licking Ida's blood off of his knife, and after that, suddenly Ida is paralyzed in place. Stain goes for a finishing blow, but from out of nowhere, Deku arrives and hits the hero killer with a fully controlled smash. You know, kind of looking like uh, looked a bit of uh, like a Roman Reigns big dog Superman punch. Mm, nice. Deku gets ready to fight off Stain, but Ida tells him to run and save himself, but. You know, our boy Deku, he isn't gonna let he's not he's not gonna let his friend just like lay there to die. He isn't gonna do that. Oh no. That's not what heroes do. A real hero takes on these kind of problems head on. And I know I like this really subtle detail here is uh Deku kinda taking up a fighting stance, like 
the same fighting stance he uh, took on when he fought Bakugo as like a little kid in that very first scene of the of the anime. Or like, oh, I didn't notice during that the mock battles, you know, he puts his dukes up, kind of similar to the way he did. Oh, I didn't notice that detail. Yeah, I caught it on like this viewing here for the for the podcast, and I'm just like, oh, I like that. That's so good. And another detail I noticed is that uh, it kind of looks like Deku is trying to pull off a smile here for this fight because, you know, he's probably thinking about All Might's speech about smiling when you're scared or nervous in the face of danger right here. So he's trying to, like, he's trying to smile and he's, like, putting his dukes up, you know, because he knows, like, he's dealing with something really serious here, but he's trying to smile in the face of danger. I think I'll need to work on it a little bit, though, as the series goes on because I look at that kind of smile and I think, like, Okay, you're confident, but I think we're still boned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the look he's giving right here. <laughs> like, he's not even sure of himself, but he'll still do it. Yeah. But I couldn't think of him. I can't think of a more in-character thing for Deku to do. Yeah, I'll guess. Deku faces Stain head-on, and after dodging some attacks, he lands a Detroit smash. But Stain managed to cut him, licks his blood, and now Deku is paralyzed. As you see, that is the power of Stain's quirk. He just needs to ingest one drop of his victim's blood in order to paralyze them. This guy's knives and blades aren't just there for pure edginess, they serve a purpose. Stain's fighting style is one that not only gives gets him over as one scary motherfucker, but also one that works hand in hand with his quirk, and you know, watching this, I'm kind of thinking like, man, this is like some JoJo levels of characters, you know, where like, their look matches with their combat style perfectly. He, he looks like he got all his gear from, like, a weapon shop in a shopping mall or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, fir I firstly love that aesthetic because I never see that anywhere else. Yeah, because he's just so dirty and grungy with, like, his with his weapons. And even, like, his blades are all dulled up and everything because, you, know, you know, he probably doesn't sharpen them after he kills off these, these heroes. Well, it's been observed by some fans, too, that he seems to take some uh, stylistic... That stylistically, the way he looks... He looks actually very reminiscent of the edgy uh, anti-heroes of 90s American comics, actually, oh. which were drawn by uh, such artists as Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarland, mm. you know, creators of such series as like Youngblood and you know, Spawn and whatnot, and all of which were had very loose morals themselves, just like, yeah, actually, even in the way, it's particularly in the way his jaw is drawn, it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of... Um, like the Max, actually. Okay. <laughs> the purple anti-hero with like the way his like jaws, the way his teeth sort of overlap with his jaw, and it makes for this very striking image. It's such a it's such a good design. I love like Stain's overall design is one of my favorites in all of My Hero Academia. It's a really well done one. Oh, and it just it sells his it sells his scariness and his edginess in perfect amounts. Yeah, it just works perfectly in tandem with one another. Along with having uh, some pretty uh, clear, very likely inspirations from uh, real-life American comics as well. I, hi I really appreciate it. So all hope seems to be lost, but have no fear as Icy Hot is here, and he's using his fire! Before Deku sprang into action, he sent his location to Todoroki in the hopes that he'd find them. And Todoroki just, hap just so happened to be in Hosu City since uh, Endeavor was there, so uh, kind of a lucky break here for Deku and Ida. Super lucky. So Todoroki fights off Stain, but Stain is able to land some knife blows, but luckily Todoroki quickly stops him from ingesting his blood. Then somehow, Deku is able to move again, and he jumps right back into the fight. Turns out there's a catch to Stain's quirk, and we get the rundown from President Mike here about Stain's quirk. It's called Blood Curdle, which, god, that's an amazingly evil name, mm, Blood Curdle. Delicious. 
and the way it works is that he can paralyze his victims up to eight for up to eight minutes. However, that timing depends on that person's blood type. So from shortest to longest time, it's uh, O type, A type, AB type, and then B type. And Deku has blood type O, which is why he unfroze the soonest, despite being the last one to be paralyzed here. Nice. Yeah, I always, I always forget like how that works like in descending order from the blood types. So nice to have a little reminder. And to kind of go back to the JoJo villain comparison, there's always like... Even with, like, JoJo villains, like, you know, they have, like, these unstoppable uh, stand powers. There's always, like, that just one catch that kind of, like, gives them, like, that one weakness, that one chick in their armor, so to say. Mm-hmm. So we get a uh, really good moment with this fight here where uh, we have this inner monologue from Todoroki about how he understands how Ida must be feeling in this moment about facing Stain, trying to avenge his brother and whatnot. And how he knows what it's like to be filled with so much hate and resentment for one person, considering, you know, he went through... Pretty much in his entire life, hating and resenting his father endeavor. And we also get the reason as to why he's using his fire as when he met with his mom in the hospital, she accepted Todoroki and in his left side at that moment, and they reconciled right then and there. And then she told him to move forward with his life without holding anything back. And also that moment is why Todoroki is interning with Endeavor. He's never going to, he's never going to forgive him for these years of abuse, obviously, and rightfully shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But he isn't going to turn down the experience from, like, the numbers you hear, because, you know, like, you're an asshole endeavor, I fucking hate you, but you know what? You have some experience, you know, you've been around the block quite a few times. You got something to pass on. I might me. as well use that to my advantage. You're useful in some way to me. And maybe he can use that to, you know, maybe uh, surpass Endeavor one day, so saying, like, haha, you trained me to surpass you. Very nice plan, Todoroki. Very nice. So Todoroki thinks back to how Deku motivated him at the sports fest to accept his fire quirk as his own, and then he in turn similarly motivates Ida to become the hero his brother wants him to be, by saying like, you know, stand up and be ingenium, fight, be a hero and all that, and I'm just like, God, I love this show. Uh, it's a good pep talk. It's so really well done, and like, just calling back to the sports fest just that great moment during the Deku and Todoroki fight. Right, exactly, it has that callback there, which gives it a lot more strength. I love this show so much. <laughs> Don't need to tell me. So it brings us to the climax of this fight, so it's time to close things out. After hearing Todoroki's words and also recalling a memory of how Tensei's motivations for becoming a hero, which is that he wanted to be someone that his little brother can look up to, Ida is ready to get back into the fight. He regains control of his body and nails Stain with a recipro burst. Ida tells Stain that he's right in saying that he isn't a true hero. But he has to stand up if he's truly going to be one. He also realizes that uh, what he's been doing hasn't been all that heroic. He shouldn't be out for revenge. But if he gives up now, that's like when the name Ingenium will die. And he can't let that happen. And Todoroki starts to notice that Stain started to get more and more tenacious and desperate. So it was like his moves are starting to become more like he can't read them. You know, he's just all over the place. He just can't keep in control with himself. He's just jumping around, slashing at the ice. Like, he's actually pretty resilient given that he's facing off against uh, three heroes or junior heroes that uh, are not exactly wet behind the ears. And not just because they're junior heroes, but the fact that, like, he's facing on three people at once, because usually his mode of attack is attack one hero, you know, when their guard is turned in, like, a dark alley so no one can help them. Yeah, I had to remind myself during the second time through that, like, he's a lot more vulnerable than I remember. Yeah. Like, he, like his modus operandi, like, it does not allow him to fight many people whatsoever. He's actually kind of... I, it's weird to say this, but he's actually kind of weak in that regard. He is, but he kind of makes up for it in being, like, very intimidating. Oh, he does. He more than does. Which is, like, very 
Very well done for, like, an antagonist right here. Mm-hmm. After that recipro burst, Ida's engines have stalled, but then he has Todoroki cool them down with his ice. So, a bit of a callback here to their fight at the sports fest, because, you know, when they fought Todoroki... Yeah, he cooled off his jets during then, or blocked them with ice during then to, uh, you know, bring them back down to uh, a sort of, like, a neutral state, like a dormant state. But here he's now, he's actually uh, cooling them off to help him right here. Yeah, and this time he doesn't block his mufflers. Mm-hmm. So while this is happening, Ida takes two knife hits to his arms while defending Todoroki, even at one point getting pinned to the ground, you know, while Todoroki's trying to, like, cool off his engines here. Oof, Jesus. That's a bit of a true hero moment right there, you know, taking a blow, fatal blow for, like, you know, one of your comrades there. So uh, once his engines have, start, have cooled, he starts to get back into a fight, and I love that how he's pinned to the ground, you know, by one of the knives, and he takes one of the knives out of his arms with his teeth. He just bites onto it and just, like, rips it out and oh, spits it out. Just, like, damn. It's so cool. I love that. It was so <laughs> badass. badass. I love that so much. <laughs> At this point, Ida can't use his arms, but that doesn't matter, as he'll just use his legs. And the opposite goes for Deku, as he uses his arms instead of his legs, as they're injured. And with the combined power of Ida's Recipro Extend and Deku's Controlled Smash, the two land a double blow on the hero killer. So, like, punch to the face and a kick to the side. And he is down for the count. Though, he does have, like, one at least strength for one more attack, but uh, Ida hits him with one more powerful kick. You know, probably thinking, like, ah... This one's for Tensei. Mm, yeah, anyone would give that in for him. And then Todoroki lights him up, and then that's it. K.O. 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 And what an amazing fight this was. Oh, this is fantastic. This is like one of this is like one of the defining fights early in the series. Kind of makes me realize that season two was filled with a lot of good fights, especially coming off of season one. Because you know we had like you know Uraraka and Bakugo, we had uh, Deku and Todoroki, and now we have you know. These three taking on the hero killer. And nice to see that it can still be, like, kept up, too, after such a high-octane high arc as the sports festival as well. Right. So with the hero killer tied up and immobilized, it looks like all's well that ends well. And we get a moment of Ida apologizing to Deku and Todoroki for what all happened. And watching this moment, after everything he's been through these past few episodes, I can't say enough how much I loved how Ida has grown as a character throughout this time. You know, I also loved how uh, Horikoshi was able to take a character like Ida, who is more or less a bit of a straight-laced goofball this far in the series, and was able to, like, you know, break him down, but then really build him back up with a very serious and heavy story arc. It's just, like, man, it's so well done here. Mm, such a well-constructed... It's 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 this, this is, it's such a small, relatively small arc, but Horikoshi can still, like, supplement it with such emotional uh, heft that really rockets it forward. It makes it far more important than what it may seem in the series. Yeah, and also it didn't feel forced or out of place, you know, like taking a goofy character and making him really serious, you know, it's just, it felt all accepted and all really well done. So a bunch of heroes arrive on the scene at the request of Endeavor, and Gran Torino is there too, mostly to give out about give out to Deku about uh, not staying put and getting into trouble there. Oh yeah, because like, cause, like it, they're they're all gonna get in trouble now because young just the youngins got involved in a fight apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, no time to relax as a bleeding flying Nomu shows up and grabs Deku to carry him away. Then suddenly, Stain breaks free from his restraints, licks the Nomu's blood, like blood that splattered on the face of like one of the pro heroes, and he just licks it right off her face, paralyzes this Nomu, and then kills it without hesitation, just like stabs his knife right into his brain. Oh, just merciless. 
And I can kind of see this, like, you know, him stabbing this and killing this Nomu is a bit of a bit of an uh, indirect fuck you to Shigaraki here. More than likely, because he did cause a lot of a lot of the damage that's happening around. Right. And he shows no mercy to anybody out there that, like, is that cruel. Then we get some parting words from the hero killer here. And Oh, you're gonna, like, I'm gonna tell you right now, like, I don't usually, like, pipe up on these parts, but, like, you're adding this in. I should. You're I'm, adding this in. I'm adding this in. Because <laughs> this speech right here, this will reverberate throughout the series in many characters' minds. It's important. You false hero! Make this right! These streets must run with the blood of hypocrites! Hero! I will reclaim that word! Come on! Just try and stop me, you fakes! There is only one man I'll let kill me. He is a true hero. I think he's out cold. Everything I do is to create a stronger society. And then he goes on to call all heroes fakes and hypocrites and that there's only one true hero in the world. That being All Might. He is worthy of being called a hero and he is worthy of killing him. <laughs> It's it's like listening to a psychopath's manifesto. You can't, like, not hear it. And also, like, uh, we also get the thing where, like, uh, we have newscopters kind of, like, covering the whole Hosu City incident. And one of them actually happens to cover this moment right here. They catch Stain's speech on video here. And it's like, this is one for the records here. And it's gonna, and like you said, it's gonna affect the rest of the series going forward. And in this moment, you know, with Stain just, like, giving his big speech, his big monologue, it all ends with him passing out while he's still standing on his feet. Ooh, that's that's a strong trope right there. Just pass just like going out while you're on your feet. That's mm, that's strong right there. And also I got to give credit to uh, Rob McCollum for giving the voice of like staying here just like really giving this huge did a, performance. Did a wonderful job. We're going to be feeling this for a while now here. This will have long-standing repercussions. So after that we get the aftermath of the hero killer Stain. So with that fight done, our three boys here are understandably banged up pretty badly. Though I can imagine uh, Deku thinking of uh, Eden Todoroki as uh, lightweights. You know, he's probably going like, I've had more broken bones than I can count. This is like a paper cut right here. <laughs> you know, I've been to the I've been to the infirmary so many times right now. If I get one more stamp on my hospital bill, I get a free prize. <laughs> <laughs> so our boys are then visited by Grand Serino, Manuel, who was Eda's pro, and the Hosu City Chief of Police, Kenji Surigame, played here by Chris Guerrero. This man is a large built man in a suit who has the head of a beagle. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Japan had their own version of uh, McGruff the Crime Dog. <laughs> Isn't it exactly that? I love it so much. 
<laughs> the crime dog hero. <laughs> no, 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 not a hero, but like, it's like, <laughs> I wish this guy were a hero. <laughs> yeah. He'd be such a good boy. <laughs> Though I have a bit of a question here. So, is he a man whose quirk gave him a dog's head, or is he a dog whose quirk that gave him a man's body? That's a good question. I never thought about that. <laughs> Is he a man dog or a dog man? <laughs> this is this is the questions, people. <laughs> he looks like a character out of Bojack Horseman. He really does. <laughs> like he'd be the police chief. <laughs> they just like has to like confront Bojack for like crashing like the ca- like his car and like drunkenly into another like celebrity's pool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Poochie here is she's here to uh, <laughs> tell the boys that while they uh, defeated the hero killer, they did they unfortunately did so illegally, as you can't use your quirks to injure others unless you were a licensed hero. And man, I would have loved to have seen the whole like you know civil war style of events that led up to uh, the My Hero World adopting these kind of laws, you know. But uh, luckily, they won't be reprimanded for this since they won't go public with the details, and they'll just say Endeavor took down Stain since he was in Hosu City at the time, and Stain has burns over his body. Surigami expresses his gratitude to the young superheroes in training as he appreciates them for taking a big bite out of crime. News of the hero killer's defeat and arrest begins to spread and notably catches the attention of some strange-looking characters wandering around, you know, back alleys and forests and underneath, I guess, sports bleachers and whatnot. So, uh, what's uh, what's going on with these folks right here? It looks like evil is cooking up in the world. And also, it seems that the news has hit Shigaraki the hardest as it completely overshadowed his nomus. And he just starts, like, you know, throwing a tantrum, you know. He's like, our, our nomus were on the front page. What happened? What's going on? Everyone's talking about the hero killer. Maybe if I looked like a Rob Liefeld character and jacked myself up with blades from the local mall, I'd get some credibility, too. Oh, man, I think someone's throwing a tantrum. Kurogiri better lay him down for a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Back at the hospital, we get some bad news regarding Ida's medical results. It turns out he has some permanent damage to his left hand, but instead of feeling down, he's going to use it as a reminder of what happened, and that'll motivate him to do better in the future and become a great hero. Now he's in the same camp as Deku when it comes to hand scars, so they can be Scar Brothers. I don't know if that's really something you want to be, but okay. <laughs> but hey, you know, okay, you can build up the bonds I mean, between I say two. that, but like at the same time, I also think scars are one of like the coolest things a character can have. Oh yeah, that's like a really cool, like, even in shounen anime, like, scars are the best. It's, it's got, everyone tells a story. But uh, to lighten the mood here, we get a little moment where Todoroki legitimately starts to think that he's cursed, as anytime he gets involved with someone, they end up seriously injuring their hand. And I love how Deku and Ida think he's just joking, but Todoroki's just being serious, but they don't see it that way. He's just like, come on, guys, I, I think I might be cursed. Oh, Todoroki, you got the jokes, man. Oh, man. Guys, no, seriously, can can I see maybe, like, an exorcist or something? Like, I think I'm really cursed with something bad here. Oh, exorcist, look at this guy here. He's just really giving us the jokes. Oh, Todoroki. Guys, no, really, like, I'm, I've been looking up Satanistic rituals. Like, do you think maybe, like, we could perform one of these and just... Get rid of it real quick. <laughs> oh, Todoroki, you crack me up. Guys, I'm not joking here. Can you take me seriously? I said you I crack me up! <laughs> <laughs> and I love at one point he just says, like, I think I might be the Hand Crusher. <laughs> Which, by the way, Hand Crusher, a good hero name. Ooh, that would be. So back at UA, a phone call is here. A phone call is here. A phone call is here. <laughs> I love All Might's ringtone. 
<laughs> who makes their own voice their ringtone. I would have loved to have seen like a scene where All Might recorded him saying that to like make that as his ringtone. <laughs> you know, he like pumps himself up into like his big powerful All Might form just to record like 10 seconds of like a ringtone and then he powers back down to Small Might. The fact that it syncs up with like his, his like big catchphrase, I am here. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> a phone call is here. And I also love like like some of the other teachers, like present Mike and whatnot, they're all like just going like really, that's his ringtone. So All Mike gets a call from Grand Torino and they talk about the situation with Stain, specifically how the media seems to have him connected with the Leaguey Weegee, and how he could inspire copycats. And because of that association with the league, those copycats could seek them out and join them. This event could lead to the League increasing their numbers with like-minded villains who share the ideals of Stain. And it's brought up that the true mastermind behind this plan of bringing Stain into contact with Shigaraki to get Stain's message out to other villains in order to bring those villains to the League can only be done by one person. This person is from All Might's past who not only gave him that big stomach injury that we saw in the, in the first uh, two episodes, but also... This is the same person that killed All Might's predecessor. This man is only known as All for One. One for all. <laughs> no, I, I, I can resist. <laughs> I gotta get that Musketeer's catchphrase in. Yeah. <laughs> Gran Torino tells All Might that now should be the time to finally tell Deku everything. But first things first, we have to see how everyone else's internships have been going. So after dealing with all this heavy hero killer stuff, I think we need a bit of a breather episode here. Time for some filler, filler, <laughs> pad out the episode run. <laughs> so let's take a look at uh, everyone else's internships while everyone uh, heals up at the hospital in My Hero's first anime-only episode. So uh, first thing we have is uh, Best Genus taking out Bakugo to go on patrol. And, I look, and like, you know, we mentioned it, how Bakugo is just dressed in like jeans he has no gauntlets and also he has a very uh nicely combed hair and you know like looking uh looking at uh, bakugo's jeans here and seeing uh best genus style i'm kind of wondering like you know what brand does uh what brand of jeans does best genus use you know is he levi's man or like you know what is he uh that's a good question maybe uh i'm gonna say i don't know anchor's not a too, not too bad of a brand okay myself. i could see that I mean, they make a decent pair. I can also see him as, like, a bit of a Wranglers man myself. Oh, there we go. Wranglers. Can't beat that. So while on patrol, they run into some kids who recognize Bakugo, and he thinks that, oh, they're just fans from the sports fest, you know, they just want to, like, mark out to him, think about how cool he is, but no. They instead know him from being attacked by the slime monster in season one, so they just kind of make fun of him for that, for getting captured. Hey, you got slimed, <laughs> you big loser. And then Bakugo proceeds to verbally lay into these kids and just yell at them. <laughs> to the point of, like, making them cry. Make, making kids cry, brah. <laughs> you Bakugo, brah. You're making kids cry, brah. <laughs> He's really good at that. He really is. And then next we move on to Uraraka doing some knife fight training with Gunhead. And I like to imagine that uh, her training also included him showing her the uh, surviving edged weapons video from that one uh, Red Letter Media Best of the Worst episode. <laughs> I would hope so. Some really good information to be learned in that. Yeah, you know, you gotta watch out for dudes who, like, hide uh, samurai swords in their living rooms or, like, guys who hide machetes in their cars and start running at you from 50 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> now, Uraka, don't worry. I'm going to teach you now, like, how to avoid getting stabbed by a Tonto blade. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch out for guys who have blades on the back of their uh, Coca-Cola hats. <laughs> 
And then after that, we see poor Yairozu and Kendo still not doing anything heroish under Uobami. Just like she's just being mobbed by a bunch of fans and they're just like off on the sidelines just going like, is this it? Well, to be fair, Best Genius was also teaching a little bit of that as well. I mean, you gotta know how to deal with people who admire you. You gotta know how to put on like a good image. Yeah, I but... guess there's something to be learned in that. Yeah, but Bakugo needed it. I don't think... Yairozu and Kendo need this. Not really. They kind of they're already pretty sociable, nice people, so they don't really need anything. Yeah, and they're like both that. very proper, you know. Yairozu being like you know one of the class reps, and Kendo basically being like the big sister of One B. Precisely. I mean, if anything, they're just gonna learn how to like put together a commercial by the end of all. This. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they get. That's what they got out of this. They they learned about uh, uh, commercial production. Wonder if they got any royalties for, the, for those commercials that they shot. They had better. <laughs> they had better for that kind of work. Oh man, unfortunately, this was an unpaid internship. No. <laughs> then after that, we have Tetsu Tetsu and Kirishima cleaning up a local park. Daniel Bryan would approve. <laughs> Wait, fourth kind, this is what you're having us do? <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to clean up, you know, help the environment. You know, you know, we all live in this world. You know, why not help uh, Mother Earth get a little bit better? You know, that is true. Well, plus it, it's, 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 it's just, it's the, the, the humor of it just fits Kirishima and Tetsu Tetsu because they're both just big meatheads who <laughs> yeah. just throw themselves to their enemies and now they're just picking up garbage. <laughs> 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 Gotta imagine from fourth, and from fourth kinds and he's just thinking to himself like, I'm just a guy with four arms. There's not much I can really do. <laughs> I'm just a community leader. <laughs> But after all this, we do get some real hero work as Jiro is going through some uh, real life experience with death arms, you know, trying to, uh, you know, save some hostages from a, like a life or death situation here. So at least she gets to do some like a real hero work. Yeah, doing something cool. But now for the real beef of the episode as we get to look in on everyone's favorite frog girl, Sue. <laughs> I just, I just laughed at this because I'm just like, of course. Of course, Sue gets, like, half an episode dedicated to her. I mean, come on, everyone loves Sue. Yeah, I, I do admit, everybody does love Sue. So, she's interning with the muscular seal man named Selkie, played here by Ray Hurd, and he's joined by his sidekick, Sirius, played here by Emily Nibs. And I love how uh, Selkie is all, is trying to act all very cutesy, but Sirius is just having none of it, but uh, Sue is... Uh, actually thinks that he's adorable. <laughs> I think I think he has best of both worlds. He's got the cute seal face, and he's also just got, like, a buff-like Barra body. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know, when Sue thinks he's adorable, I love Monica Rial's read of her saying, Adorable. <laughs> oh, man, like, with this, like, another cutesy tough guy hero, I'm thinking, like, Selkie and Gunhead should team up together. You know, they could be the world's cutest tag team. Ooh, they would be... God, no one can match up to their, to their cuteness. You know, they'd be like, oh, they're so sweet. And then, bam, they knock you out. Mm, yeah. Two buff bruisers who oh, are just the man. cutest, cutest guys on the block. Fucking book him, Dano. <laughs> Anywho, Selkie gets called in by the Coast Guard as there's evil afoot. They have to investigate a ship that's been ransacked by some stowaways, and they try to find them and the cargo they took. Late at night, they find the boat where the stowaways may be, and Selkie goes to check it along with the rest of his crew while leaving Sue and Sirius behind to guard the ship. Selkie and company investigate the boat, but they end up falling into the baddies' trap. Selkie uses his seal powers to communicate with Sirius through a series of clicks, and Sirius can hear this because of her quirk, Good Ear, and he tells them to go after the baddies by searching for them in another boat that should be nearby. <laughs> I like that they're actually showing that maritime crime is just as like valid as like regular old crime on the on like the land. I'm, I just keep thinking to myself like, you see, this is how you this is how you put over this is how you would put over 
Aquaman in that story. <laughs> Selkie could teach Aquaman a few things. A uh, man better than that lame three-hour movie. Oh, God, yeah. Ugh. So they find the boat, and they get on it, only to be attacked by a member of Horty Jones's new Fishman Pirates. <laughs> Quick run! Just a bunch of squid people. Oh, man, but uh, thankfully these guys aren't jacked up on steroids. <laughs> And then we got a neat little fight here between Sue and this octopus guy, and the octopus gets the upper hand, but luckily, Selkie is free and here to save the day. I will give props to the uh, Lovecraft reference in the baddie's name being Innsmouth. Yeah. (laughs) I just had had to give a little shout out to that. And so the villains are taken care of, and Sue, along with the other 1A's kids' internships, have all come to a close. And after all that, I think we need a break, so we're going to take five here, and we'll be back with the rest of My Hero Academia Season 2 with the final exams arc. be my code name the name you give yourself is important a code name tells people exactly what you represent you sure about that i used to hate it but then something changed someone taught me that it could have a different meaning internships huh yeah a few students already chose theirs it's an important time for them make sure they do it right if you're really aiming to become the greatest hero like all my still got a heck of a lot to learn. So much happened this school year. Some of us learned what it really takes to be a hero. Where did that come from? Some of us tasted failure. Just because you think you're getting stronger doesn't mean you get to tell me what to do. We struggled with our own powerlessness. I am here to test them. Then we move toward bright new goals. The tests now have a new focus. We're fighting the teachers? I realized what was actually important when it came to being a hero. Oh, really? What was it? Will you tell me? Oh, it'll be better if you find it out for yourself. You're so much stronger than when we first met that sometimes I hardly recognize you, young Victoria. I'm sorry, all might! <laughs> Let you and me watch over him together, Toshinori. Until the day that the hero Deku is celebrated around the world. As the new symbol of peace.
And we're back with the final exams arc. So we have the episode, Listen Up, A Tale from the Past. Nice moment to open up the episode as Deku bids farewell to Gran Torino for now. But before he leaves, Gran Torino gives him one more uh, senile moment, you know, asking Deku, what's his name? You know, what's your name, Zani? <laughs> and then Deku answers back, Izuku Midoriya. Eh, it's not right. And then he thinks about it for a bit and he goes, I'm Deku. Aww. And then he gives a bit of a look to Deku going like, yeah, you are. <laughs> nice little send-off moment for him for now. Because you know why? Deku is the name of a hero. Mm. Nice. So all of 1A are back in their class. I see uh, the results of uh, all, their other, all their internships. For instance, Kirishima and Sero start off by laughing their asses off over Bakugo's neatly combed hair, as it's been stuck that way ever since he's gotten back. <laughs> <laughs> just laughing my ass off. I'm just kind of wondering, like, how best Genus, like, you know, what was this trick to, like, styling Bakugo's hair to the point where, like, it just gets stuck that way? <laughs> he used a secret ingredient, L'Oreal. Oh, because he's worth it. Ah. But then Bakugo gets so mad that it somehow uh, pops his hair back into a place. L'Oreal, <laughs> <laughs> you suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never change, Bakugo. And also, Uraraka seems to have found her fighting spirit as she's in some sort of combat trance. Uh, be careful, don't get near her, or else she'll hit you with an arm drag and lock you into an arm bar. She's feeling the power of the dragon or something here. Maybe push her near Mineta so she can give him a bit of a the old <laughs> one-two, you know? I don't know, because it already looks like he had a bad to bad enough time. Oh yeah, when they like, try to talk to him about like interning with Mountain Lady, he's just all like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I was, I was just, I was just laughed at the like uh, what could possibly have gone bad during that. Hey, Mineta, toilet's clogged again. <laughs> Do your work as a hero. I also think that part of the reason why he had such a terrible time is because maybe he couldn't get his rocks off or his mm. balls off, rather. Ah, uh, that could be it too. It's Mineta we're talking about. Yeah, it's like that one, uh, that one uh, Team Four Star joke from Dragon Ball Z at Bridge, where like Krillin's just like so upset about. Bulma walking around on their spaceship while they're heading to Namek and that he just he just couldn't really like you know whack one <laughs> off and then later in like Namek he's just got like, goes into a cave for a little bit and then he comes back later and then Bulma goes into the cave and she's like oh god what did you do <laughs> so maybe that happened to Mineta after like you know I don't know she must he's never had that kind of reaction before so it's had it must have he must have had to have had some kind of bad experience under her yeah <laughs> hey all that glitters isn't gold for this guy mm-hmm then the class turns their attention to Deku, Ida, and Todoroki as they start talking about them coming into contact with the hero killer. Kaminari even brings up a video that's been circulating going over Stain's history and why he operates the way he does. And I just love, like, you know, the setup of this video because, like, before uh, Kaminari talks about this, we get a scene of some villains in, like, a little dingy bar talking about this video, you know. You know, this is the, the story of Stain, you know. He grew up admiring heroes, but then especially All Might, but then he starts to notice that heroes aren't, like, following All Might's lead on being heroes, and he's trying to, like, you know, preach to other people, saying, like, no, heroes shouldn't be like this, heroes should be like this, but no one's listening to him, and then that's just what led him to take up this mantle as this murderous hero killer. It's a philosophy that could infect enough people's minds to think that heroes are not really worth uh, keeping around, which that we could see uh, could spin into a, a sort of villainous philosophy. Yeah. And also he talks about, like, uh, when Kaminari brings him up, he talks about how, like, uh, Stain's been kind of getting a bit of a fan base among normal citizens, you know, thinking, like, oh, man, this guy's, you know, he may be a killer, but 
It's kind of cool, you know? He's got an edginess to him that's pretty appealing. It speaks to me on a, an emotional level. <laughs> speaks to the teenager in me. Oh, uh, man, I'm just going to watch this uh, stain video over and over while listening to nothing but Slipknot. I, lo no, I'm getting, I love that, like, in-universe, it's, it's like a fucking AMV or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, somebody got enough, like, or made up enough footage of him within, like, a day or within, like, a few days. And then put it together and made a freaking, uh, <laughs> and made like a freaking AMV out of it. It makes me laugh. Maybe at the end of the video, you can have like a little title card that says, uh, please be nice to me. This is my first AMV smiley face, winky face. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the cherry on top. <laughs> but Ida doesn't dwell on this too much because goodness knows that's what he's been doing for far too long at this point. And he sets his sights on his goal of becoming the perfect hero. And we get the return of fun, gesticulating, goofy Ida. Uh, I've I've missed this. Mm. You know, nice to see him getting his groove back, you know. He's back on top. Anyway, it's back to class as All Might is here to have 1A do some training to put what they've learned during their internships to use. We're going to have a little race inside a giant refinery factory train that, of course, UA just so happens to have in that backyard of theirs. You know, putting that government money to good use. <laughs> so this race will be between five students at, at a time, and each will start from a different location, and they'll try to make it to the location of a distress signal first. The first group will be Deku, Ida, Ojiro, My Girl Mina, and Sero. Everyone's already counting Deku out because every time they see him use his quirk, he's always end up with broken bones. But little do they know about his training with Gran Torino. The race begins, and Deku shows off the fruits of his labor by staying in control of his quirk while leaping from rooftop to rooftop. Bakugo even notices that Deku's jumping around like he does, and this, of course, pisses him off, because while he was getting all neat, tidy, and trim, Deku was honing his skills. And that just really, really eats at him. And we're going to see, like, you know, the rest of, like, his, like, you know, jealousy and anger towards Deku throughout the rest of this, uh... Rest of season two right here. Nice little setup for us. Unfortunately, Deku doesn't win the race as he slips on a pipe he tried to land on, and instead, Sero wins and gets a nice little thanks for saving me sash from All Might. Cellophane, cellophane, <laughs> can, can do whatever I tape, can. <laughs> <laughs> Good effort. Uh, nice try, nice try, nice try. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, but uh, speaking of nice try, I'm pretty sure you can put you can use that sash to put uh, the nice try chance uh, aside from him. No need to be down, Deku, as All Might was really impressed with him and then asks him to meet him after class as it's time for Deku to learn the truth. After school, Deku and All Might have their meeting, and I'll splice you in the moment right here, but we get the moment of truth about one for all. It's connection to an old quirk all for one. The quirk you now have is unique. And you should know its origin. One for all was derived from another odd quirk, a power that's very old. It used to be something different? The name of that quirk is All for One. It allowed its user to take quirks from others. And the user could keep the quirks for himself or give them to someone else. What? You mean he could steal powers? This was back when quirks were just starting to show up, before society had figured out how to deal with the newly powered among them. When quirks first appeared, suddenly it was impossible to say what it meant to be a normal person. Laws and human rights were hotly debated. Civilization's progress stalled. Society decayed. If superpowers had never appeared, and humans would be taking interstellar holidays by this point. I remember hearing that from someone famous. 
Right. During that chaotic period of change, there was one person who managed to rally many people together. He went by the name of his power, all for one. He stole quirks from others. And then, with his overwhelming abilities, he spread his influence across the country. He manipulated people to serve his purposes and committed evil acts with little resistance. In the blink of an eye, he became the leader of villains and ruled over Japan. I've seen plenty of rumors about this online, sure, but isn't that all just made up? It's not mentioned in our textbooks. Because it's the kind of shameful history people would rather ignore. Anyway, when a person gains true power, they enjoy showing it off to others. How does this all tie together, though? And what about One for All? I said that All for One could give quirks to others, remember? He made people trust him or submit to his will by altering their abilities. But apparently, there were many poor souls who couldn't bear the burden of the quirks they were given. They became like mindless living dolls, incapable of speaking. Just like the Nomus are. <coughs> Meanwhile, some quirks actually evolved as they were passed on. Some even combined with other power sets. This evil man had a quirkless younger brother. He was small and sickly, but he had a strong sense of justice. They couldn't have been more different. It pained the brother to see All for One's deeds, so he kept resisting him. And then, All for One transferred a quirk to his sibling, one that would allow him to stockpile power. We don't know if it was a gift he was giving his brother, or if he just wanted to force him to submit. Don't tell me. Yes, even though everyone thought he was quirkless, turns out the brother did have a quirk, though even he hadn't realized this to be the case. He had a useless power that only allowed him to pass on quirks. And so the stockpiling ability merged with the younger brother's power. And that is how One for All came to be. I've always found it ironic that justice so often spawns from evil. Wait, hold on! I understand how One for All came about now. But this bad guy must be long dead by this point. So why are you bringing him up? One who steals quirks has no limits. Anything's possible. There are quirks that halt aging. He probably has something like that. The symbol of evil seemed pretty much immortal. With the state of the world at the time and the huge difference in their combat abilities. The younger brother decided to entrust this new quirk to future generations. Even though he couldn't defeat All for One, he hoped One for All would continue to grow in power until it was strong enough to stop his older brother. Eventually, it was my turn, and I managed to defeat All for One. At least that's what I thought. But he survived, and is now back in action as the brain behind the League of Villains. So now you know, the entire purpose of One for All is to defeat All for One. As its holder, you may one day have to fight against this great evil yourself. Because I failed. I know you didn't expect this, but... I'll do my best! I'll do whatever you ask, no matter what it might take. As long as you're with me, I can do anything! I know you'll have my back! What do you think of all this? Ooh, just I just think it's just more good setup, really. Like nothing, like nothing simpler, really. I think it's just I think it's just really hyping up like this villain that we will eventually uh, see here. 
It also just gives a great backstory to um, how One for All came to be, uh, how it's sort of uh, morphed from evil, which is, uh, which is something that uh, All Might interestingly kind of comments on, how like justice sort of came from evil at one point. Sure, it's exposition, and yeah, maybe you could have argued they could have shown it more, but like, it's it, it still serves its purpose uh, quite well. Yeah, and also I really like the whole, like, you know, the actual backstory where it's just like how the brother of the user of uh, All for One, you know, got his quirk from, uh, got like this very, like, powerful quirk that was the basis for One for All, but it turns out, like, you know, he had another quirk with him, which is, like, uh, kind of useless to him, where he can pass down quirks to others, so those two quirks combined together is what made one for all. Yeah, it makes for a neat little uh, faded connection between the two parties. Yeah, and you can kind of, like, think about how, you know, all for one, looking at this going like, oh, this is my doing, and he probably, like, tries to, like, use that as motivation to kind of, you know, snuff out uh, one for all. And so throughout all this, we get, like, uh, the true purpose of one for all is to defeat all for one, you know, as they're destined to once again clash with each other in the future. But uh, most notably, we uh, don't get All Might telling Deku about uh, his uh, former mentor, the seventh holder of One for All. So maybe maybe that can be something uh, saved for the future, you know? Maybe when All Might's ready to uh, talk to Deku about it. Hmm. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. And in a post credit scene to this episode, we get to see All for One in person as he vows that this time, peace will come to a violent end. <laughs> so excited i also kind of noticed one thing about this scene here as uh he's uh he's not alone he's talking to another person in his room seems to be kind of like a personal uh personal medical professional to him you know don't spoil it for me if this is not the case but uh call me crazy but uh this dude seems a bit familiar mm. i don't know there's just something about the guy he's talking to i mean all for one is talking to that seems Kind of familiar, you know, I just can't really put my finger on it. Well, they've certainly been close, but hmm, might not be as personal as you may think. Mm -hmm. But now it's on for our students to gear up for the final exams. So with internships behind them, it's time for 1A to focus on those exams. And they get a bit of a caveat here, as if you pass your finals, then you get to attend the UA summer training camp. But if you fail, then you have to go to the dreaded summer school. Uh, summer school. Something I've thankfully never had to experience in my life. Yeah, very thankful. Unfortunately, I heard some horror stories about my, uh, little brother having to go to summer school in high school and how, like, it was terrible. And also, considering that he went to school in Florida and they don't turn on the air conditioning at the school, then he had to deal with the hot Florida summer sun. That must have been... That, that is hell. That is hell on Earth right he there. He specifically told me that it is hell on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, well, should have done the work, bro. <laughs> sorry, not Sorry. <laughs> And of course, with 1A taking the, uh, you know, we're all in this together attitude, they, they usually do. They all work together to make sure everyone passes their exams so they can all go camping together as a team. The bonding, the level of camaraderie here, this is like on par with like, say, the straw hats from One Piece of how everyone is just so connected together and how much they really want to like, how much they like each other and want to like, you know, support one another. Yeah, everybody's really looking to push one another on forward and... Uh... Man, are we going to see so much of that in this upcoming in this upcoming arc? Yeah, and also I really like the moment where, like, as soon as the uh, camping trip was announced, you know, you have like, uh, say, you have like, I think it was like Hiroshima and Kaminari, you know, turning to the class saying like, "Hey, make sure no one fails." You know, we gotta, we all gotta go camping together, right? This is what we gotta do, right? Oh, so nice. And also, even Yaya Rosu gets into it because she invites a bunch of the uh, other kids to the study over at her place for a little study session, and 
I just love how very excited she's getting about having friends over at her home. You know, she's going like, oh, this is gonna be great. You know, tell me what kind of tea you like. You know, what kind of like desserts you like. I'll bring, I'll make sure they'll be there for you. It feels heartwarming because you kind of, because like it, you kind of realize that she probably doesn't have many friends that come over to her house. Yeah, I'm pretty, sh- <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that was, I, it can be kind of implied that her being, you know, coming from a very rich family, coming from wealth, that can be kind of intimidating to some kids, maybe during her elementary school days. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But you know, like, yeah. Uh, her like making new friends in 1a and them kind of being all like whoa you're actually rich but like thinking like nah you're still a great person nonetheless yeah so what will the final exams entail first will be a written exam covering all they've learned so far and then after that will be a combat test word on the street for this one is that it'll be against robots again just like those entrance exams multiple study sessions and three days of written exams later the time for the practical exam has come I can imagine what kind of like questions have to come up on an exam like that. Yeah, it's probably some, it's probably some stupid crap like from Sky High or something. Yeah. <laughs> you find a crossbone. You find a crossbone nearby, but you're also within like a good distance to like go and help your hero. What do you do? It's like <laughs> someone's just like I pick up the crossbow and shoot the zombie. <laughs> Write a five paragraph essay on uh, what you what do you think what it means to be a hero. <laughs> <laughs> a five five of you gotta write like a five paragraph essay on what on what catchphrase you would have <laughs> <laughs> write an essay about uh, your hero name and why it fits you perfectly cite three sources <laughs> <laughs> note you only have 30 minutes as expected it'll be a combat test but instead of fighting robots the combat will be against actual people specifically they'll be fighting against the teachers and the students will be paired up in teams of two the reason for this is due to the attacks by the League and Stain, they feel that the students need to be more ready for these types of things, and going up against robots won't do the trick. Also for the reason for the two-person teams is they need to have certain students work together in order to cover any weaknesses one or another might have. Though one team in particular was brought together due to their relationship with one another, that being Deku teaming with Bakugo as they have to face All Might. And as for the other matchups, here's the rundown. We have Sato and Kirishima taking on Cementos. Sue and Tokoyami versus Ectoplasm, Ida and Ojiro versus Power Loader, Yayorozu and Todoroki versus Aizawa, Uraraka and Ayama versus 13, Mina and Kaminari versus Principal Nezu, Jiro and Koda versus Present Mike, Shoji and Nagakure versus Snipe, and Sarah and Mineta versus Midnight. So just like the cavalry battle, we got some very interesting team ups right here. Hmm, yeah, it will prevent it will present itself as a uh, as some interesting as some interesting challenges to these characters. And also gives us another uh another way to see uh characters use their quirks to like work together, you know, how can one person's quirk with work with another person's quirk that we haven't seen before. Yeah, bring well it's sort of it is bringing up a little bit of the teamwork we saw in some of the uh first tests in the series, but uh in a much more uh, collaborative way this time. Yeah. So the way to win this is by either cuffing the teacher or by escaping the combat zone, and all this must be done within 30 minutes. So Sato and Kirishima are up first as they take on Cementos in a city battlefield. You know, with all these different battle locations, you know, we had like the the refinery from earlier, we had like this uh, city here, we also have like, uh, you know, the USJ and stuff like that. I was kind of thinking like, man, wouldn't it be easier and cheaper for UA if they just had some sort of like X-Men style danger room instead? Mm, maybe that technology has not been invented yet. Uh, really? I don't think so, no. Yeah. Because doesn't, doesn't the danger room involve, like, like VR or something? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing in the universe of My Hero, believe it or not, believe it or not, does not <laughs> suggest that technology. Oh, man, My Hero's behind the times here. Yeah, weirdly, behind the times in some ways, and but not in other ways. It's It's weird. Yeah. 
thinking like, oh man, like a danger room with like these characters would be like really fun to see. <laughs> it would be a godsend. Uh, and like you could probably bring in like a character who's kind of like a Professor X, you know, kind of using his mind to control like all these like you know battle tests and robots and other obstacles, you know, whatnot. <laughs> it would look pretty sick. It would. So in this fight, we get to see Sato's sugar rush work on full display as he can increase his strength for every 10 grams of sugar he eats. Though, if he eats too much, he'll lose his cognitive abilities, which I can imagine him going overboard will make him like uh, the Hulk from that scene in Age of Ultron where he just starts to go nuts and starts wrecking the place. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just has too much sugar, you know, he drinks a Red Bull, has a has a bit of cake on the side, and he just starts, like, go, turning gray and just starts wrecking the place while someone needs to get inside, like, a Hulkbuster suit to, like, knock him out. I could imagine sometime in the future actually getting, like, uh, advertising deals with, like, energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so perfect. Gets, like, a sponsorship with Monster. <laughs> <laughs> just sponsored. And then he can, like, uh, then he can talk to Yayorozu and Kendo about, like, you know, what it's, what it's like to be in a commercial to give him some, uh, pointers. <laughs> And then Yaya Rose, Give me like, some tips, I gotta sell this energy drink here. And then Yaya Rose, who's all like, ah, oh, jeez, this again. <laughs> also, I just like how Sato just keeps, like, plain sugar in his costume, you know? I just gotta think back to uh, the Simpsons joke, you know? Sorry, it's not in packets. <laughs> just pulls out wads of sugar, you know? Someone comes up to him saying, like, hey, do you have any, do you have any sugar for this coffee? He's also like, yeah, here, and he just pulls out out of his pockets. <laughs> hey, do you want some cream with that? Uh, no thanks. <laughs> I really, for speak, me speaking personally, I really want there to be like a moment later in the series where like he he needs to reload on sugar, but then he like accidentally grabs Splenda. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's sugar free! Oh man, would that really greatly affect him? You know, if he doesn't use sugar and he uses like sugar substitute. Oh, I probably I, I that would be such a funny idea. I hope that I hope it works like that. Would it work like say uh, you know in uh, One Piece, Frankie? You know he has to get powered up by cola, but if he has any other drinks in him, he has like a different personality. You know he has tea and he's all peaceful and stuff like that, or he has like coffee and he's just all kind of wimpy. It all just goes straight to his legs and he gets like really buff legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the inverse, you know. Uh, I can just imagine like Sato, you know, kind of like uh, building up his, you know, uh, kind of like bat utility belt for like his uh, sugar rush powers and he just goes into like say like a baker square and just like buys like a dozen cakes and just stuffs them in his pants <laughs> it's just it's just jamming scones into yeah. his like, pocket you know he's gotta go fight a villain going like wait 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 hold on hold on i just gotta eat this uh cherry tart right here <laughs> like, mm, mm. oh this is this is very good wait 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 hold on i'm not done i'm not done nope uh, okay, okay, I'm ready to go. He's ready gonna to go. jack some like candy bars to like reload. <laughs> Grabs like a three musketeers from like the local gas station to give him like that quick energy burst. <laughs> I just love how creative these quirks can get because they like raise questions like this. I know, I know, and it gave us like enough time to like, and also gave us a great moment to like fill some time. <laughs> yeah. So Sato and Kirishima head straight for Cementos, but he keeps his distance by blocking each attack and just waiting it out until they reach their limits. Here we find out that the point of these exams is as each team is pitted against teachers, they'll have the hardest time against. It's all about overcoming weaknesses and trying to figure out how to get through that. The fight ends as Cementos immobilizes Sato and Kirishima. So yeah, these exams here, they're going to be uh, no walk in the park. Mm, Gotta really no. think things out. So on to the next episode, Yayirozu Rising. Next up, we have Sue and Tokoyami's battle against Ectoplasm, as he starts things off with his clone quirk, as he can use the power use his power to create up to 30 clones. But Sue and Tokoyami are ready as they game plan before the exam, as they use a combination of Dark Shadow and Sue's Frog Tongue to get up to higher ground. So, 
He has a uh, dark shadow throw Sue up in the air, and then Sue, while in midair, flicks out her tongue to grab uh, Tokoyami and flings her back up. So kind of like a bit of a reverse slinky style thing while going up to uh, the top of the building. The kind of tactics you can learn if you just watch the film Kung Fu Panda Two. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's the exact same move that that was used in there. <laughs> During a close quarters battle with some clones in a cramped hallway, we get to know what the weakness for our kids in this fight is. Tokoyami is more of a long-range fighter with Dark Shadow, so fighting someone like Ectoplasm up close puts him at a disadvantage. But luckily, he has Sue with him in order to cover that weakness, in order to provide some much-needed emotional support, as she always tends to be cool under pressure. See her uh, fight against that uh, octopus when she was interning with Selkie. Mm, true, that, that does actually come through pretty well. They get near the exit where the real ectoplasm is, and he creates his final clone, which is much larger than the others. And this giant clone, as well as the location of this fight, you know, kind of in this big corridor with like a central uh, area, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Mysterio fight in uh, the old PS1 Spider-Man game. <laughs> Actually, it does kind of remind me a little bit of that. So the TNT duo here are captured, so Tokoyami sends out Dark Shadow to fight off ectoplasm, but he's outmatched. Sue has one final trick up her sleeve, or rather, up her throat. Wow, they came out wrong. <laughs> You'll know in a minute. So she has Tokoyami call out Dark Shadow in order to uh, give him something, and then Dark Shadow goes back to Ectoplasm, and in one swift move, he cuffs the teacher. You see, Sue had the handcuffs in her stomach, so she barfed them out to give to uh, Dark Shadow, and with that, the TNT duo win and pass their exam. Nice strategy. Gross, but good. I can just imagine Sue going like, wait, this is going to be kind of a hard battle. I might as well keep these uh, handcuffs in my stomach right here. <laughs> After that, we see the conclusion to Ida and Ojiro's exam battle against Power Loader as they try to avoid the underground traps by fusing, which translates to Ida giving Ojiro a little piggyback ride. <laughs> they head for the exit, but Power Loader's like, nuh-uh-uh, nuh-uh-uh, nuh-uh-uh. Then Ida jumps into the air has Ojiro wrap his tail around his leg and then does a reciprocal extend to fastball special Ojiro towards the exit for the escape victory. Slings him right forward. It's pretty cool. Ah, oh, that's that's smarts right there. Mm. And now for the main event of this episode as your girl Yayorozu takes center stage as she and Todoroki face off against Mr. Aizawa. This, this, this match right here made me so happy. <laughs> oh, and also I, I really like the setup to this fight because it's in this maze-like neighborhood setting right here, so it kind of, like, works both perfectly with, like, Mr. Aizawa being more, like, of a sneaky, stealthy hero. Mmm, you're right. It does actually sync up pretty well. Though it looks like Yamamo's head isn't in the game, as she seems to be thinking back to her loss at the sports vest. So, at this point, her confidence is pretty much shot, and combined with the fact that she didn't really do much hero-wise during her internship, you can kind of understand why she's second-guessing herself and her abilities. Especially because we find out that she got into UA based on uh, recommendations, so she kind of feel like she's not living up to the expectations of the people who recommended her. Yeah, like she 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 just feels like she has a lot more to let that she can like offer and do out there, and like she has the brains certainly, but she just needs to like demonstrate and practice. Yeah. So Todoroki's got a plan here, as while they move through the neighborhood, he has Yayirozu continuously create small objects. And when she stops making them, that's when they know Aizawa's here because he's using their quirk to disable theirs. And uh, I like the little uh, Russian Matroska dolls that she's making here as the, like, the little item she's kind of slowly producing. So they pause for a moment, but that's when they realize Yayorozu's creation quirk has stopped. And Aizawa is here as he Spider-Man hangs upside down from a telephone pole to uh, catch the uh, students right here. 
So Yayorozu runs away, still not feeling confident in her abilities, but runs into Mr. Aizawa. This causes her to run back to go save Todoroki. And this is where we find out match weakness, as Todoroki doesn't communicate well with others, and since Yayorozu is second-guessing herself, she just goes along with his initial plan, thinking like, you know what, your plan's probably going to be better than mine anyway, I might as well not just speak up. Yeah, sadly feeling kind of inferior here. Yeah, and even though she did have like a, big, a plan of her own that could possibly be one that leads them to victory. They decide to put her plan to use now as she throws some of the dolls she made to Aizawa only for them to open up and reveal they have flashbangs in them. So kind of a perfect setup with like, you know, the Matroska dolls having like, you know, you open up the top, there's something inside. So he throws them, opens up the top, there's flashbangs inside. So she oh, had that prepared. A little surprise. And also another thing with this fight is that uh, the key to victory is that they need to exploit Mr. Aizawa's quirk because it's been significantly weakened after the USJ incident, especially after like, you know, fighting Nomu and, you know, we get flashbacks to that scene where Nomu is just, like, pounding his face into the cement, so that kind of, like, really must have, like, really fucked with his eyes a bit. It's it's a cheap move to take advantage of that, but hey, you gotta you gotta do that when you're facing against any villain. Yeah, you know, W's a W, mm-hmm. no matter how you get it. They get away from it, and once Todoroki's able to use his quirk again, he makes a giant ice wall to separate themselves from Mr. Aizawa. Then we get the finale to Momo's big plan, and since, you know, since this is your girl, I kind of, like, uh... I'll let you call this one, you know, what? Uh, what is her big plan right here? What does she do to defeat Mr. Aizawa? Her plan is to basically uh, bait him off with, like, puppets that are, like, initially, like, uh, covered in cloaks so that he can't, like, cancel anyone's quirks to then confuse them. Yairotsu is going to bait him around, is going to bait him over, reveal that uh, she's actually controlling another puppet underneath the other cloak, and also reveal that she has, <laughs> she has created for herself a mini catapult. <laughs> Full of um, material that looks very similar to the wraps that Aizawa uses. Then she is going to activate the catapult, fire them at him, and then have Todoroki, who is like who is like hidden himself elsewhere, to uh, send out flames, which will heat up the wraps, which are made of a special material that contract and r- return to their original shape, the original ball-like shape, when s- when uh, subjected to heat. Thus. <laughs> causing it all, causing the rap to wrap around Aizawa and capture him. It is genius. That is some smarts right there. It's so smart. Oh, God, that was just like, you know, yeah, they should have won with this plan at the first. Like, she shouldn't have, like, she really did think of, like, the really great plan. Like, it's convoluted, and if, and if one step was out of place, it could have all gone to hell. But... It got pulled off. Like, it worked. All according to the plan. All according to Keikaku here. All according to Yayorozu's plan. And so, Yayorozu and Todoroki have beaten Aizawa, and it looks like Momo's got her groove back. And she's so overcome with emotion that she just starts, like, crying like she can't help herself from, like, tearing up. And I just like how Todoroki just starts, like, he doesn't get it. He just starts, like, telling her some simple ways to, like, you know, get rid of the tears. He's like, hey, you know, there's some pressure points you can pull to, like, stop crying. Like, you know, he's, he's not reading the room here. <laughs> I love his obliviousness. Oh, Shoto, you're so straightforward. <laughs> but before we close out this episode, we check in on Uraraka and Aoyama taking it on 13, as 13 has them pretty much trapped in their black hole quirk while Uraraka and Aoyama hang on for dear life. And I love Aoyama's poorly timed bad joke here where he's just like, you can say this quirk really sucks. And Uraraka just gives out to him, just like, you're making jokes now? <laughs> hey, hey, jokes do help reassure civilians that everything is going to be okay. So, hey, 
His head is in the game. <laughs> <laughs> so Uraraka tries to think of a way to get out of this mess and wonders what would Deku do? You know, WWDD put that on a bracelet. Which leads to Aoyama asking about Izuku Midoriya. Is it because you like him? Woo! Just had to pop that right here. <laughs> also, did he read her mind? Because she thought that, you know, what would Deku do? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good call right there. It must have been pretty obvious on her face, you know, like thinking she's thinking about Deku. Well, Aoyama, as he, I'll say this much, later in the series, he proves he does actually have some decent intuition, actually. Mm. Like, he's actually not bad at reading some people. So on to the next episode, Stripping the Varnish. We get the conclusion to this fight, as upon hearing Aoyama ask what all the fans have been thinking about Uraraka since she first showed up, uh, she lets go of the pole she was holding onto and flies towards 13. This causes 13 to stop using Black Hole, and Uraraka goes into battle mode as she uses her training to bring 13 to the ground and cuff them. And Aoyama flies in to subdue 13's other arm for good measure. Mm. I just love how when he lets go, he just kind of like uses his laser to uh, fly towards them, and he just goes, Wee! <laughs> He's going to use it somehow. It's how it was useless here. <laughs> and they win. And I like Uraga's little line where she goes like, I'm a mini battle hero. <laughs> yeah, you are. So with one little question, Aoyama has now set in motion a little mini character arc for Uraga here that'll definitely span the rest of what we're covering this summer. He definitely planted in her an earworm that will like persist for so long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And on to the next fight, since uh, your girl had her time to shine, now it's my girl Mina's time in the spotlight. And, uh, oh yeah, Kaminara's here too, I guess. <laughs> so they're taking on Principal Nezu, and for Mina, this, this should be no problem, no. She can handle this because she's incredibly awesome. So Kaminari, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just stand up to the side there and look pretty and let my favorite alien queen take care of business. I mean, with Principal Nezu's quirk being that he's just an intelligent otter thing, you know, what does he have in store? Oh... He has a crane with a wrecking ball. <laughs> and he starts going nuts and destroying everything, buildings left and right and blocking off all their exits. You must you must have felt as you must have felt as destroyed at this when you saw it as as Nezu destroyed that cityscape. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like desperately running away, just going like, what the hell? Nezu's going nuts. Well, yes, that's because Nezu, well, his his quirk may be intelligence, but it's hyper intelligence. So he's very, very smart, so he can come up with very, very smart strategies. And also because of that, Kurikiya was once experimented on by humans, so uh, this test is just his way of getting his vengeance on humanity for like all those experimentations. I had to be reminded of that part and be reminded that that's like, very demented. Yeah. <laughs> he, somehow, he somehow gets like a nice rage, he gets his like, raging rocks off <laughs> by like, screwing with humans. So sad. Uh, note to self, don't make the otter angry. You won't like him when he's angry. <laughs> and also, I gotta say, a can of Coke to Jerry Jewel here for just really hamming it up as Nezu, you know? Just like, you see Nezu just, like, sipping his tea while laughing maniacally while just going, like, I'm gonna lock all the exits on you. <laughs> <laughs> like a mad genius. <laughs> he just is. He's really embracing his villain role. <laughs> and so, in the end, Mina and Kaminari lose as time runs out. Hey, still a winner in my heart, Mina. After that, we move on to the next fight as Jiro and Koda face off against Present Mike in the forest setting. The weakness for this one is obvious, as out of the gate, Jiro and Koda both have sound-based quirks, and someone like Present Mike can drown that out with his quirk. 
Since Coda's quirk is that he can communicate with animals, Eliza Thornberry style, Jiro asks him to call some and attack Present Mike, but uh, he mimes out that he can't because Present Mike will just scare them away. And also another weakness I can see is that uh, since Coda doesn't talk a whole lot, uh, like, at all, then he and Jiro can't really communicate well, which can lead them to, like, not very much, you know, coming together and thinking of a, of a battle plan. Oh, I never, I, I never, oh, dang, that just now, like, a, like, a, like came into my head, actually. Yeah, that's exactly why they would get teamed up, because, like, he's not, like, communicative at all. And also, this reminds me of how, like, you know, in the previous podcast, when talking about Monoma and how, like, you know, his quirk is that he can copy people's abilities, but, like, that requires him to get close to others, but that can't because his personality is one you don't want to be near to, so it's kind of the whole idea of how Hirokoshi coming up with characters who have quirks that kind of mess with their personality, you know, they're kind of the opposite, so to say. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, Koda has a quirk that allows him to talk to animals, but he doesn't talk much, so... Yeah, he's very shy. He's very shy, so, like, he kind of, like, kind of doesn't really work here. Then we get an example in this fight as to why Sonny Straight can't come back to being present Mike as he lets out a very ye loud yell. <laughs> like, upon hearing that, I'm just going like, okay, yeah, it's it's probably good that Sonny's no longer playing this anymore, otherwise he'd do more damage to his throat. Mm, yeah, he dodged a bullet there. Yeah, which uh, props to his actor, Dave Trosco, for being able to do this. Mm, definitely. So this is the power of his quirk. He can let out loud, amplified yells, and I like how when we get the rundown of present Mike's quirk, we have uh, Aizawa giving us the, uh, you know, the bit of the narration here because... Uh, <laughs> I love that bit. Because, you know, President Mike is usually given the narration for these uh, quirks, but, you know, since he's in the middle of a fight, have Aizawa do it. Yeah, yeah. One of those, one of those nice little details they like that they end the anime because there's because there's no, like, voiceover in the manga whatsoever. Because, yeah. like, it's it's just panel boxes where they just explain what the quirks do. That's it. There's no, real like, real personality injected into it. Ah, oh, that's, like, good for the animators here and, like, people on the animation staff just, like, having, like, you know what... Let's just have President Mike do this, because, you know, it's... It's it, a neat little bonus, because he injects a lot of uh, personality when he describes them. Yeah. There's a brief lull in the fight, and Jiro gets an idea. Why not have Koda use his quirk to communicate with bugs? Only problem is, he's afraid of bugs. To which I say, I don't blame him. Mmm, yeah. I'm, I get I get bugged out myself. <laughs> Jiro tries to fight back with her sound quirk, but it can't match up with President Mike's. So Jiro tries to have Koda communicate with bugs again, but he's still afraid. She's trying to motivate him to face his fears in order to win, and then he sees that she's been hurt as she's bleeding from her ears, and ouch, that looks pretty nasty. Mm. Then, it happens. We get Koda realizing what he must do in order to win this fight, and what he must do in order to prove himself as a hero, and in doing so, we finally get to hear him speak, and I'll splice in Koda's, you know, shining moment of awesome right here. If you can pull it off, we still have a chance! You can do it! You want to be a hero, don't you? If so, then we gotta pass! Chiro's ears are bleeding! She had to fight because I ran away! It's my fault! Wait a minute. I got into UA, didn't I? Where all the best pros are trained. My heart should be without fear. I have to be plus ultra! Go on, tiny ones, hear my call. Now is the time for you to take out the man who's responsible for all this terrible noise. You can talk! You can do it! What's the deal? 
Are they gonna run down the clock and hide out the whole time? <laughs> oh God! They're coming from underground where sound doesn't travel well! Oh man, this is why I hate the outdoors so much! That's tough even for a pro. Wow, Coda, harsh move. He let a few bugs beat him. Team Coda and Jiro have passed the exam. He can talk. 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 I can sing. Well, to the animals, yeah. <laughs> if I can walk with the, the animals, animals, talk with the animals, animals run and jump and squawk with the animals. animals. <laughs> it's Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> so one season later, Coda gets to talk, and he's played here by Greg Ayers. Uh, surprised to hear Greg as the voice of Coda? Mm, well, not super surprised, actually, because like Greg can like play uh, nervous characters quite pretty well. Mm -hmm. Also, it's it, it doesn't surprise me too much because he has been like decreasing in the number of roles he's been taking in yeah. recent years. So it doesn't surprise me that he would take a relatively small role right here. Yeah, it's it's it it fits his uh, it fits his uh, style that he's going for right now. I wonder if it's also kind of a bit of a rib on uh, Greg Ayers because you know he has a very unique and distinct voice. You know, having having a voice like that come out of Coda could be kind of seen as very like you know shocking or unexpected you know that he's like he's the last person needs like it's a little bit of a surprise yeah but yeah. I, I would say it ties in well with Coda's character it works really well and he does a really good job mm -hmm. so uh in the previous podcast I mentioned that like after Tokoyami got his big showcase during the cavalry battle and I thought like oh man the rest of 1A they're gonna get their showcase too and during these final exams everyone does and Coda is no different, and I just like how he was given time to shine, even though, like, in season one, he was just mostly regulated to the background. Oh, I really appreciated that. This was really the time to let all of them shine in some regard. This just goes to show how much Horikoshi has respect for his characters. Yeah, he really does. He loves every one of them equally. Every one of them is like his children, his babies, so to say. Mm-hmm. And I also like that this big, huge crowning moment for Coda is accompanied by... You say run the big epic music cue that I've been banging on about every time we talk about My Hero Academia. Oh yeah, it's like, quite deserving. Like he's earned a You Say Run moment right here. Anyone out there who who's whose boy is Coda? Who has Coda as your boy? Someone's got to have him as a boy. Somebody's gotta. He's he's a he's a neat little soft. He's a cute little softy. Boy for sale. <laughs> boy for sale. <laughs> and so Coda and Jiro beat President Mike and pass their exam. Next up, Hagakure and Shoji take on Snipe as he has them pinned down behind some pillars. Can imagine him pulling out his uh, guns and going like, "It's high noon." <laughs> he looks like he looks like he'd be saying that. <laughs> he really does. Shoji manages to get away, but he notices that Hagakure slipped away, going completely invisible, aka dropping all of her clothes. Man, that's got to feel drafty. <sighs> yeah, that she's. Actually, yeah, if she ended up fighting any, like, villain, like villains that could, like, manipulate cold, she'd be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Case in point, during the uh, mock battles in Season 1 with uh, Todoroki freezing the entire building she was in. Mm-hmm. Shoji confronts Snipe up front, and he does a Hitman-style fake surrender, which opens up Snipe to be cuffed by Hagakure, which then leads him to accidentally elbow her chest. And I just love Hagakure just giving out to him, going like, Mr. Snipe, you pervert! <laughs> And he's just like, no, 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 I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, it's an accident, please don't stop. I respect women. Yeah. 
actually, well, you know, playing the playing the whole embarrassment card, that's, you know, that's, that's a tool. That's a tool to use. <laughs> yeah, and it's also kind of like the uh, opposite of what do you expect for a character like Hagakura, you know, like, a character who, like, uh, kind of works when they're, like, uh, not wearing any clothes, when they're constantly naked, you expect them to be embarrassed, but, like, the embarrassment comes from, like, everyone else through secondhand embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Although, give credit, they actually wrapped up theirs pretty quickly. Yeah, so it's a pretty quick fight, and they win and pass. Dang it, Gakure, you were actually pretty good out there. Yeah, she's very good in, like, stealth missions. Yeah, she was great. Now, for our penultimate battle, with Sarah and Mineta taking on Midnight. And for following wrestling pay-per-view rules, this fight is technically in the death slot, so perfect for Mineta. Uh, sorry, Midnight and Sarah. <laughs> but Sarah probably isn't too upset, as he ends up subdued by Midnight, and he naps on her lap. Lucky bunny. <laughs> And this is the power of Midnight's quirk, Somnambulist. She uses the pheromones coming off her body to put people to sleep. So move over, Poison Ivy. <laughs> nice. I just love the detail, too, that she can like that she has to like strip her costume off in order to like pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and her costume was actually brought up earlier in uh, the season where like uh, they did like a little TV segment with her in uh, Mount Lady and how like how she had to like wear this costume now because of like uh you know regulations in costuming compared to like her earlier costume where she was oh, wearing yeah which episode was that again that was uh right before they started taking their final exams mm right right and i did like her earlier costumes uh, not for the reasons you think but because uh <laughs> they kind of remind me of a bit of a nudist speech from uh kill a kill oh yeah her costume did kind of look like that actually actually that mm, that i think might have actually been a scrapped costume from uh, the concept art oh really her. yeah i just remember seeing some like scratchy uh, concept art that Horikoshi did have, and she wore that exact same costume. Okay, so maybe it's like he had this idea, but maybe, like, say, his editor came to him saying, like, hey, you can't put this, you know, it's a bit too racy. Actually, I think that was one of the issues when designing her, is that he had problems making her look too racy. <laughs> like, too, like, like having too little clothing. <laughs> so he had to go back to the drawing board and redesign her a little bit. Like she's wearing nothing at all. Nothing mm, at all. Nothing at all. Stupid sexy midnight. <laughs> So like he, he just took this all whole thing, his whole thing with like maybe his editor, and just decided like, hey, this would be a good joke to put in my series, <laughs> kind of acknowledge the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So during this fight, Minato runs away like a huge coward. You know, he's probably going like, Ugh, fuck this shit, I don't want to fight anymore. <laughs> but not only is he a coward, he's also jealous of Sarah's position as he's so upset and horny that he starts crying blood. <laughs> and then he screams, "It should have been me! It should have been me!" What he's just he's just showing concern for his comrade, <laughs> but he wants to be in that position. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, the early years. <laughs> then we find out as to why Mineta wants to be a hero in the first place. Take a wild guess. He wants to get with women. Yeah, he just wants girls to notice him and touch his balls, <laughs> and not the ones on his head. So as Mineta is running away, Midnight manages to catch up with him and. Boy in the scene with, like, Midnight, you know, kind of taunting Mineta here. I just gotta say, man, Elizabeth Maxwell's performance as Midnight really, really does something for me. It's nice. I think it works really well because, like, she's, like, a sexually dominating woman and stuff. And, like, I think that actually, like, scares Mineta to some degree. <laughs> I can probably, I can be safe to say to chop up Elizabeth Maxwell here as, like, another one of my VA crushes, you know. Up there with Bryn April. Mm, right. I can yeah. understand. You know, Bryn's still my number one, but, you know, Elizabeth is great, too. Very close second. <laughs> Anywho, this it turns out this is all planned, set up by Mineta, as he intentionally lured Midnight away from the exit. Then he uses a piece of Sarah's tape to cover his mouth as to not breathe in the pheromones, 
and he uses his balls to trap Midnight in place so he can head back to Cero and carry him through victory. I give credit where credit's due. That was actually a pretty well-won victory. Yeah, ah, oh god, ah, oh shit. Grapist here actually had a decent moment after all. <laughs> Still not gonna stop me from shitting on him, but hey, nice effort. Six out of ten. Ah, uh, you'll be a hero someday, Mineta. Someday. And I'm just gonna sit here going like, Ugh. you had some moments, but why did it have to be you? <laughs> why are you you? So with nine fights down, it's time for the final match as Deku and Bakugo need to put their differences aside to take on All Might. And we have the episode, Katsuki Bakugo Origin. Bakugo is going into this more determined than ever as he doesn't want another half-assed victory like what happened at the sports fest. And he wants to show up Deku after seeing how he improved himself during his internship while he was getting his ass groomed. This fight begins, and Bakugo is having none of Deku trying to communicate with his plan. You know, fucking piss off, nerd! Yeah, he's he's not gonna take any of this. He's gonna win it in his own terms. He wants to do this alone, and but that won't work as uh, All Might is... Uh, he's not gonna pull his punches, literally, as he starts things off with a big smash to pretty much destroy their entire city battlefield. And he's playing up the villain role real well. Yeah, just like Ida during the combat training in Season 1, he is taking his role as a villain very seriously. He even tells the young boys that uh, they need to think of this as a real fight rather than an exam, or else they'll lose. Though, unlike Ida, All Might is much more intimidating and isn't hamming it up like Ida. So we have the weaknesses for this one, as of course Bakugo is being Bakugo, and Deku looks up to All Might too much that he sees him as an untouchable force. Put that together, and you've got a bad mix. A bad mix of a team up here. We got a huge mountain to climb here. All Might easily mops the floor with Deku and Bakugo very violently, I might add, as he's just, like, punching them, slamming him into the ground. Ooh, he's not holding back. No, he's not. Hey, he's taking his role as a villain very seriously. <laughs> when he approaches Bakugo, he brings up how he shouldn't let Deku's improvement deter him, and in doing so will surely lead to his defeat. Then Bakugo then says he'd rather lose than let Deku help him. In a way, I kind of see this as Bakugo indirectly acknowledging Deku getting better to the point of nearly surpassing him. He's basically saying that if he lets him help him, then then they can win. But uh, he won't do that because that's that trademark Kachan pride that won't let him do it. Upon hearing this, Deku gets up and then punches Bakugo in the face, almost uh, Kamina style from Gurren Lagann, you know. Let's see you grit those teeth! <laughs> A fine little moment though, because he's actually he's actually trying he's actually trying to match Bakugo right back and like you know bring him bring some sense to him. Actually taking some charge and like fighting back a little bit to some degree. Yeah, and so he swoops in and carries him away and then tells him not to think like that. And all spicy in this little moment here, where like they have a little conversation in a back alley, combined with like a little flashback where Bakugo, a young Bakugo, is watching All My saying like, "Oh, he's the best. No one can defeat him." And I think it's like a really good moment. Drop me, you bastards! I got you! I told you to put me down, damn it! Kachan, I really can't think of a way for us to beat All Might. Or to make a clean getaway without him swooping in and stopping us. Huh? But before you give up, we can at least try using my power! You can't say you're okay with losing! You're you because you never give in. You're always fighting. Stupid! You're a first grader! You apologize when you bump into someone older! Yeah, we're gonna tell Yochan! You'll pay for this tomorrow! <gasps> You're gonna regret this! <laughs> ha! I didn't bump into you, losers! You were the ones who bumped into me! Whoa! 
Kacha, you fought against two big fourth graders in one! The most amazing hero always wins. In the end, they come out on top, no matter what. The most amazing hero always wins. You've been saying those words since we were little kids. How can you give up now? I won't say it again, so listen, you useless nerd. All Might's speed is insane. No matter where you try to run and hide, there's no way you'll avoid fighting him. Yeah, but we don't stand a chance in combat. I mean, you saw him back there. Shut the hell up before I kill you! <gasps> he won't be stopped by anything less than a full power attack. I learned that earlier with my mini blasts. So... Where did young Midoriya run off to? Since he's hiding, does that mean he's planning to make a break for the escape gate? You're going the wrong way! That's supposed to be a sneak attack? This is pissing me off. Can't believe I'm working with someone like you! Someone who shouldn't even be here! Deku! So... We give him everything we've got at point-blank range. Our only option is to inflict damage and then put some distance between us. So that's the game. Shoot now! This is our chance! I'm sorry, All Might! My shoulder! Jeez, he really uses this thing? Run, you idiot! Oh, right! Don't you dare say that you'd rather lose! Let's win this, Kachan! See, see a nice bit of a uh, influence that says uh, that has carried him to this day. And it also goes to show that both of them really look up as All Might as like this untouchable. Oh, they both figure. do. They really do. They really like see him as like the the best of the best, as they should. But like that could be that could lead to their downfall. You know, thinking that he's just this impossible force that's just coming at them. Mm-hmm. Bakugo reluctantly puts his pride aside and works together with Deku to beat All Might. And you can see this is just hurting him inside as when he jumps back into this fight he just has tears in his eyes as it's just like he just can't handle working with Deku and thinking about it now I'm just kind of I'm kind of realizing that you know throughout this series throughout these two seasons Bakugo technically hasn't had a real win in the show thus far you know most of his wins have been on technicalities like his opponent's not giving it their all you know like at the sports fest he beat Uraraka only because she was just too tired to continue even though she wanted to keep fighting or he beat Todoroki because he refused to go all out and use his fire quirk. It's like, okay, well, he, he technically had a win against Tokiyami. That was, like, very much a brief fight, but, like, all the big fights, like, with Uraraka and Todoroki, or he, like, hell, even the USJ were, were, like, he won some fights, but he got hell from, like, Hiroshima and the other students. Yeah, big fights where, like, it really counted. Yeah, or even the slime monster in season one where he had to get hell from Deku and All Might to, like, stop that guy. Correct. So he wants a real win on his own, but he can't get it, and it's just really hurting him and eating him on the inside and just stuff like this is like what really makes me like Bakugo and like what makes him a very interesting character outside of his angry jerk ass exterior like he's got all the skills but he has like so many personal problems that he doesn't fully understand that like hold him back so badly yeah and stuff like that is like what makes you really want to defend Bakugo to the death so much like over people who say like oh he's just an asshole he's just probably gonna be real villain later on in life I'm just like no really look into this really dig into the mind of Kachan here as mm -hmm. to, like, why he operates the way he operates. Yeah, there's something worth working with here. You know, look past the jerk-ass exterior. You, know? <laughs> you really have to. So the two manage to briefly stop All Might by having Bakugo distract him 
while Deku sneaks up and uses the grenade gauntlet to fire a blast at All Might. I kind of like this, how he like hands over his gauntlets, because because if you remember back in season one, he said that oh the gauntlets are here to store up his sweat, so Deku can just like go behind him, pull the pin off the grenade, and just like fire a blast of all his like nitroglycerin sweat at All Might. Yeah, he can like take it off and like pass it on to other people. Like that's a strength he actually realized here. Yeah. So they get away and head for the exit, but All Might isn't done yet as it's time to go to school. All Might rushes in and breaks Bakugo's gauntlets. Boy, he's going to have to get a deposit back on those. Then he grabs Deku and swings him at Bakugo, hitting him. Like he, grabs ba- he grabs Deku by the leg and just, like, whips him at him. <laughs> It's like, I'll beat a motherfucker with another motherfucker. <laughs> and I'll splice you in the finish to this fight because this is a really, really good finale to this big fight. This is over. Shut up! Get ready to fly! I don't like the idea of running, but with the crap fest we're in right now, this is the only way hey, to pass wait. the practical! What are you doing? Now die! to sleep. Good night, young Bakugo. I'm sorry. I may be the villain, but I'm still your teacher. It pains me to see you sacrifice your own body in a fight. Hurry up. Go. You damn nerd. I'll keep fighting. I'll break myself. Even if there's nothing left of me, I will win the way I want to. I'll destroy myself before I accept defeat at your hands! You got that! Kachan? Don't tell me! Whenever you're scared or nervous about a fight, just try and deal with it by smiling! Please get out of the way! Move, All Might! I won't! 
Hachan, but this is just who I am. Jeez, he easily could have shot through the gate himself and passed the exam for them both. <coughs> you hit me with everything you had, huh, kid? I shouldn't be surprised. This is how you've been from the beginning. You can't help but save those who need rescuing, even if they aren't asking you for any help. And at times like that, there isn't an obstacle hard enough to stop you. That's right, young Midoriya. That's the kind of hero you've always been. Team Midoriya and Bakuzo have passed the exam. All matches for the practical portion of Class 1A's final have now been completed. And uh, one of the moments I really liked is how, uh, you know, they have a plan where, like, uh, Bakugo's gonna throw Deku to the exit while he holds off All Might, and I like, right before he throws him, he just goes, he just acts like uh, Dominic Dijakovic in NXT before he starts throwing his opponents, going like, GET READY TO FLY! <laughs> And but but just... it's a rare moment of teamwork where he actually manages to fling Deku, like, right towards the exit. Yeah, and I just like how Deku's just so surprised, going like, wait, what? And just, like, <laughs> just whips him over towards the exit. But that's not the end of it, though. Yes, as uh, Bakugo tries to hold off All Might, and Deku's getting close to the exit, but he's not going to go past, as Deku isn't going to leave Bakugo behind, even though he is an asshole. No hero left behind. So... With a smile on his face, Deku runs in and hits All Might with a smash directly into his hero's face, giving him enough time to carry the unconscious Bakugo to the exit in victory. And also, Deku timed this perfectly because he knew that All Might probably didn't have enough time left to maintain his form in this part at this point in the fight. Mmm, true. Used a bit of a weakness against him. Yeah, so he just tapped in the temple there. He kind of knew. He already knows, like, one of All Might's biggest weakness, so he used that to his advantage. And with that, we get the win, and this was a really good fight. Oh, a nice, amazing finish to this. And so, with the exams all wrapped up, and afterwards, Recovery Girl gives out to All Might for going all out and injuring Deku and Bakugo, as she should. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't have hurt these kids. But it's in my name, I have to give my all. <laughs> It's my brand. <laughs> and so, we're at the finish line to Season 2, so it's time to close things out with the episode, Encounter. Let's see what Shigaraki is up to after all this. So it looks like the Leaguey Weegee has some new recruits, in the form of Dobby, played here by Jason Liebrecht, and Himiko Toga, played here by Leah Clark. Guess which one of these two is the most popular amongst nerdy otaku? <laughs> no, the, 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 bur the guy with burns all over his body. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, thoughts on these two? <laughs> uh, well, they they are actually undergoing some uh, pretty interesting developments along with um, uh, much of the League of Villains uh, currently in the manga. But um, I have to say, like as they were introduced, um, I was pretty excited to see what these two would really bring. Yeah, you know, Do Dobby just looking like this edgy, you know, like you know, gravelly voiced like kind of guy here. You know, who already looks like he has some potential, but Himiko over here just looking like, who's just, who's just like about as like, almost like as like psychotic as like uh, Harley Quinn. <laughs> She's like something out of Yandere Simulator. Yeah, she, she, she does kind of like subscribe to that trope a little bit. But um, I was, I was very curious from the get go. Very curious to see where these would go. Yeah. And also, by the way, Leah Clark as Toga, 
perfection. Ooh, oh, she does such a good job. Yeah, she's she's scary. She good. sells the psychopathy of this character yeah. real well. It's like I can imagine, like you know, while she's recording, I can kind of think of like Colleen Klinkenbeard, kind of you know, stepping back from the uh, her monitor, going like, "Whoa, you're really getting into this." <laughs> At least that's what I think. Oh, and then she's doing her job right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So Shigaraki storms out of the bar as he doesn't want to deal with these new numpties right now. So he's probably thinking like, going like, I'm just going to go out and loiter. Back at school, 1A gears up for the summer camping trip. Well, everyone in 1A, except for poor Mina, Kaminari, Kirishima, and Sato, since they all failed the exams. But there's a last minute twist as everyone's going to camp regardless. Uh, so everyone gets to spend the whole summer sitting by a campfire with all your friends making delicious hot schmoes. <laughs> S'mores. Right, right, right. <laughs> However, while they get to go, failure is still failure. So while at camp, the four who lost their fights, as well as Sero, because Mineta did all their work in their fight, will have to have extra lessons. So technically, it's still summer school, but hey, you get to go out in the wilderness with your bros and bras. Nice. Time to get ready for camp, as 1A is going to go out to the mall to get some camping gear and also to have some fun bonding time. But it doesn't last long as they split up to go get the stuff and leaving Deku all alone. Then someone recognizes Deku and starts up a conversation with him. That person being Tomura Shigaraki. Oh, he has got some interesting questions to ask Deku. And I'll splice you in the scene. I was about to say that, like, you're going to splice this in. I'll you don't splice leave you this, in. You do not leave this out. What's the difference? I don't understand you. Your goals and your villains. I don't agree with anything you do don't agree with the hero killer either but I can understand him at least sort of because the hero killer and I have something in common we're inspired by all might everything I do is to create a stronger society that night he even saved me from the flying Nomu he's a maniac but he doesn't destroy things just because it sounds fun it's game over for real this time Let's go home. And when things were looking bad for him, he didn't abandon his mission like you did. Even if the way he acted was wrong, he held true to his beliefs. That's the difference. That's like a weight off my chest. I see it now. All the dots connected. Why he makes me so angry. Why you irritate me so much. Everything makes sense. It's him. The problem is All Might. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the most rational explanation. I didn't see it even though it was right in front of me the whole time. What was I worrying about so much? It's simple. He's why these morons are able to smile thoughtlessly. They feel so safe because that garbage pro is smiling thoughtlessly too. As if there's no one in the whole world he can't save. Oh, I'm glad we had this chat. I feel better. I can't thank you enough, Midoriya. I don't need to change my ways after all. Oops, don't struggle now. Unless you want to die. You want all these people here to crumble as well? You know, it's really ironic, Hero Killer. I'm your opposite, but you let me live. <laughs> and now your ideals and convictions will become a stepping stone for me. Is this a friend of yours? Or... no, wait a minute. 
Hey, let go of him. This is nothing! Everything's fine! Stay back! No closer! Oh, you were here with a friend? I didn't know. Sorry about that. If you try following me, I'll get angry. Deku! Hold on! Shigaraki! Shigaraki? I have a question too. What is all for one after? Who knows, really? But here's a little word of advice, friend. Be careful. The next time we meet, I'll likely have to kill you. <gasps> what meaning is there to killing if you don't have real convictions? I had convictions and ideals from the beginning, hero killer. I just didn't know. Nothing has changed. The only real difference is, now I know what I'm working toward. To create a world without All Might, and to prove how fragile society's sense of safety really is. That's what drives me. From this day forward, I will call it my conviction. There is only one man I'll let kill me. The true hero among you fakes. All Might is worthy! Everything is All Might's fault. This scene here, just... Wow. <laughs> just thoughts on this little conversation he has with Deku. It is it is Tomura Shigaraki discovering that he needs a purpose and drive to really uh, guide himself as a villain. As he, uh, as he, as he, as he sort of like asks Deku, like, what's, what's, what's the Stain, Stain guy got that I ain't got? And Deku just tells him straight up, like, Stain has conviction. He has like something to believe in. He has like a philosophy to guide him. And you, you, you don't have anything. And Tomura just with a big creepy smile, <laughs> just like happily agrees, like, oh, that's what I've been lacking, huh? Well, food for thought. A little improvement to make, shall we? <laughs> As he makes his resolve right then and there, like, oh, it's not just all might. Like, yeah, like I'm gonna destroy everything here. And also, I love in this scene, like, the creepy, creepy music accompanying this scene. Like, even at one point, they do the ultimate creepy music thing by having, like, scary-sounding children sing Ring Around the Rosie. If you really want creepy music, just do that. Like, there's, there's nothing that can compare. Oof, yeah, you, th th that song itself. <laughs> Thankfully, Uraraka comes in before Shikaraki does anything bad to Deku, and he pieces out, but not before saying that the next time they meet, he'll have to kill him. That conversation has given Shikaraki newfound conviction and is 100% focused on killing All Might as everything is his fault in his eyes. So just like, you know, all the happy people in this world thinking like, oh, we can be happy because we have the symbol of peace. Well, I'm going to take out that symbol of peace to make sure you don't have any inch of happiness. In he's going to, he's, he's now thinking the bigger, the bigger game now. He's thinking like what this society relies on too much. And he sees All Might as the linchpin. It's simple. We kill the All Might. <laughs> it's, it's basically like that. It's the Joker thinking like, oh, we're going to kill the Batman. <laughs> and so after everything they've been through, the USJ, Sports Fest, Hosu City, Final Exams, and Deku's run-in with Shigaraki, the first semester for 1A, has come to an end, as well as the second season of My Hero Academia. 
But while this may be the end of sorts, it's only just the beginning, as something truly wicked this way comes. Get ready, hero fans, because the next time we begin Season 3. Final thoughts on the second half of Season 2. Punctuated mostly by um, smaller arcs that cover, uh, you know, relatively smaller conflicts in the grand scheme of things, but still have um, much greater ramifications for the characters and consequences, uh, especially shaping the world a lot more and um, giving it a lot more uh, complexity through stain, but while uh, also showing how the uh, individual characters are growing from here, uh, I like the, I like a lot of it. I like a lot of it. <laughs> it's it's doesn't you know it's not as big as some of the stuff that's going to be coming up. Not as serious or dire, but it's still very important stuff. Yeah, just like upon watching this, and I'm just like going combine this this second half of season two with the first half of season two, and with all of season one. I'm just thinking like, man, My Hero Academia is impossibly good. Like, somehow it gets better and better, and, like, for a shonen series especially, like, you think that, oh, after one point, you you get a bit of a lull here in the beginning, here and there. No, but, like, it's still some, even in, like, the smaller stuff, it still manages to keep the momentum yeah, going. it just keeps it really going, and now, like, with this whole arc, these past two arcs, like, it's just all set up for the bigger, bigger picture, and, like, even though it's set up, it's still really, really good. And also, just, like, we have more heroy goodness to come, because with season three, like... Like, there's no wait in Season 3. We're going to hit the ground running with that one. Oh, we're getting many more pieces in place for what's coming up next. Thank you for listening to the second part of Summer of Heroes. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias, at MikeyShiota on Twitter and MikeyShiota.tumblr.com. And also, I have an Instagram now, MikeyShiota. I don't know if I'll really use it, but hey, feel free to follow that. Really? Nice, I didn't know that. I, I await any food photos. <laughs> I'll be an Instagram model before you know it. There you go. And where can we find you, Ryan? You can still find me at Wolfish Grin on Twitter and Wolfish Grin on Tumblr. And you cannot find me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, given how many new restaurants I've been trying lately, I ought to. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Yeah, exactly. Not a sellout like you. <laughs> And follow the show's Twitter at AnimeBayBay. That's anime underscore B-A-Y B-A-Y. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to AnimeBayBayPod at gmail.com. That's AnimeBayBay, P-O-D, like the band who sings Rain Mysterio's theme, at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening, and join us next time as Summer of Heroes continues with the start of My Hero Academia Season 3, the training camp slash all-for-one arc. And this has been Anime, Anime Baby!
Kicked it back the right way. Did you not hear me? I'll kill you both. I'd like to see you try, pretty boy. What did you call me? Here it goes. 